This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the west side of Oahu. And uh, I don't know what to say, folks. WTF, hashtag, I guess is, is all I can say. What in the world is going on, America? I don't know about you, but I am perplexed, bamboozled, confused. I have no clue what's going on. I don't know what we're doing. I'm shocked. I'm dismayed. I'm angry. Yesterday, a friend of mine called me. We've been friends for 30 years. We were roommates in college. A black guy. And, you know, we text a lot. He's been sending me memes. I send him things. And he called me. I was going to the dump. I got seven kids, and I uh, we're only allowed one garbage can a week. So what does that mean? I often load up my pickup truck and head to the dump. It's quite the adventure. For me, it's when I listen to books on tape or get work calls done. So I was heading to the dump. You're like, Jason, why are you telling me this? I don't know. So I was heading to the dump, and my buddy Wig calls me, and he's like, Jason, what in the world is going on? Can you talk? What's happening? And I said, yeah, let's talk. And then we talked for about three minutes. I said, you know what? Can we have this conversation on my podcast? I'm going to go home. I'm going to call you, and I just want to have this conversation. You and I, two old friends discussing this, and let's do our best to pretend nobody is listening. And I think it took us about an hour and a half before it gets to be like nobody's listening. So you might want to Zoom if, if you want to get the unvarnished conversation. But uh, it's a two and a half hour show, guys, of me and my college roommate, a white guy and a black guy. Don't you hate that we even have to say that? We talk about that, by the way. Talk about a lot. It goes all over the place. And when you're listening, no, this is just me and my friend talking about what in the world is going on. Because I honestly am perplexed. And all I know what to do in the midst of a crisis like this is be disciplined, be thoughtful, be gentle, be kind, keep my emotions in check because I am a volatile personality. And remember that every human being is made in the image of God. Remember what Socrates said. All this talk about justice. Remember what Socrates said. Justice is simply doing what it is yours to do. Not running around virtue signaling and demanding other people do things you think they should do. But justice is you doing what it is you should do. So like every human person, I have a desire to be just. And I have a desire to be kind. I have a desire to be thoughtful, knowing that I am poorly formed, uh, was planted in rocky soil. This is quite the adventure for me, just me trying to be just. But that's another digression. Let's just get on with the show. This is the Jason Jones Show, and me and my buddy Wig are talking about what in the world is going on. And this episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, promoting a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film, and 
the Vulnerable People Project, which is a program of Movie to Movement, which seeks to advance the interests of the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the child in Darfur. If you go to thegreatcampaign.org for a donation of $20 or more, you get a free copy of my book. Now, it costs us $20 to get the book to you. Do more if you can. So let's get on with the interview with my good friend, with my brother, Wig. Jason and Wig asking the question, what in the world is going on? Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Wig. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Hey, how you doing, Jay? Thank you for having me. Well, okay, let's tell folks what's going on here. So I was driving to the dump because I have a lot of kids and I only get one garbage can a week for, for seven, eight, nine people that live in this house. So I'm regularly okay. driving to the dump. And then you called me and said, Jay, what's going on here? And I said, no, we got to do this as a podcast. Because one of my goals with this podcast is to talk to my guests like they're old friends about important issues. Well, you are an old friend and you wanted to talk about important issues. And I, and I thought this would be an interesting conversation to have for the Jason Jones show because our audience is all over the country in all 50 states and we're really all over the world. And we're going to about to talk about what's happening in America. So, Wig, uh, you want to tell people how we know each other? Yeah, and who absolutely. You are? Yeah, okay. Okay, absolutely. So we, uh, we met at uh, University of Hawaii, I think, back in 19... 19- 92 or 93, maybe around there, 94, 93. We were, um, actually, we became roommates. And uh, we we used to have very heated discussions <laughs> on hot topics at the time, you know, <laughs> over over some, uh, over a case of beer and some, you know, crazy. But, uh, and um, from that point on, we've been really good friends, man. And I, uh, you know, I, uh, I've always, um, you know, really, um, admired your, your opinion on things because it was just exact opposite or not the exact opposite more. I wouldn't say that more like the, it's a different, a different aspect on the way I'm looking at it, you know, and also you can kick some ass too. So I, I really, I really appreciate that as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you were my roommate and, we're, and my brother, we had the best time. We went to college when you could disagree with people and it was cool. Like, right. You didn't have to hate somebody or call them a fascist or, and we would stay up all night and we would have these conversations and we had a dorm room with, uh, tell them about our dorm room. We won't have to say names, but what was the sure. breakdown? Like just, just for the audience to understand, like who lived in our dorm? Oh, well, we had a, we had a mixture of like some football players. Uh, we had actually uh, um, a couple of, of my, actually from the football team was, actually from my high school um it was in our on our in as roommates um you know it was one of the quarter the quarterback actually of our of our college was our was one of our roommates in there and uh and um yeah it's kind of a blur like, yeah well, i believe that's who it was right so we had we had a we had a was the two football players yeah we had two football players we had these parties my kids would always be over and right, uh, right, you guys would be throwing. I mean, all these athletes. Our room no, was right. our, our dorm was known as the Honeycomb Hideout because there were. Uh, oh right, it was party time in our dorm. Yeah, uh, did we have that one weird roommate? Remember, 
they, they're like, did he trash our room or something? Yes. I can't remember. No, no, we had, oh, we, had we had a weird roommate. He was actually, um, well, I don't need, I need to bring up what he was. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what I was like. Is that the one? Yeah, that is. Yeah, the that's one. the yeah. one. Uh, that was wild. Yeah, and and, um, and I would, you guys would throw the parties, and then me and my kids would go in our room and we'd play spaceship <laughs> outside the, <laughs> the in in the in the common area. So there were two sort of bedrooms, and then we had a kitchen and a dining room, and yeah. And everyone would be having fun. Your mom was there all the time. Right. Only at the University of Hawaii could you have a dorm room (laughs) where there's partying and it's Hawaii. So I'm white, you're black, big Samoans in there. It's just everything, everybody, (laughs) right? Correct. Having fun. Then we'd have these heated arguments. Then we had one guy from Africa who was an amazing outside linebacker, good man, smart, hardest working person I've ever met. Like this guy was... Discipline. Do you know who I'm, remember who I'm talking about? I do. Is it the same one we're talking about where he got caught up in some stuff? When the the the, F, the ATF raided our dorms or raided his dorm? Yeah. Yes. Okay. He, yes. Oh my god. I mean, he's brilliant. I'm talking brilliant. That guy was like a student, still college, like very intellectual. Uh, came from like, a rough place never, and was serious about know, making something of himself. And it was over some performance enhancing drugs. It wasn't like he was. A drug dealer. He Correct. ordered something from Thailand, and it led to like the the world falling in on the dorm. So <laughs> right, and there we were, right. and we would have arguments on race a lot. Um, yeah, I would feel sometimes too comfortable talking about race, and people who didn't know me would get upset. Do you remember the one time we were talking about Jesse Jackson, and I went off, and it almost became a big fight, yeah. and I think you stopped it. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, man, but yeah, do you know why? Because you're. You know what? It, it because I know you, and and then I, and I know your history. You know what I mean? Like you were you weren't you weren't getting the street pass that you were that you deserved. But the reason why is because you didn't tell anyone. Like you didn't tell anyone that who you where you lived, where you're from, your friends. You know, so we kind of look at like this guy is like this white guy talking all this stuff. So you know, and it's like um, <laughs> uh, because I knew you, and we we've gotten it a bunch of times too, but. You know, at the end of the day, we can just laugh about it and be like, you know what, you know, till the, until the next one, right? Um, there's not a lot of people. I think that's indicative to our world um, then and now still. It's that it's very difficult to to communicate without taking it personal or having a disagreement without taking it personally. And uh, and then I guess you revert back to or we revert back to, you know, what what we know. You know, we go back to the the Stone Age and want want to fight about it. You know, um, so we were a little we were we were light light years ahead of our time, I think, in in that type of discussion in our relationship. And I and I and, and that was that was incredible that we were able to do that. Um, and so, with our with that being said, you know, it's today now more than ever. I, I feel that the white the white um, support. When I say white support, I mean by white Americans. Support is so crucial. It's always been crucial, but I think even now more than ever, because in my experience, nothing ever changes unless unless white America gets involved. I'm just gonna go there. 
I mean, I know that I don't think that's what we we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> but no, I yeah. feel you know, I, I it came to me just now because you know, we as friends, like we we had a we had a cool we had a different type of relationship. But but you said that this was how your relationships were your whole life, and I can I can say the same thing. I've had like some of my best friends are white guys, like right now, and we're still close, and it's it's always been that way in my life. My parents were in the military, so we, we traveled, and um, I was very diverse. Our schools were diverse. Everything was diverse. So I, I, I didn't know any different, um, you know, until my dad got out of the military. When he retired and we moved to the hood in South, South Carolina, well, actually, it wasn't the hood. that He bought a house there, and it turned into the hood because of uh, gentrification and stuff that they, it, it became kind of a bad area. And, and we eventually moved back to Hawaii, but, um, you know, but that's, but, but then I got to see that different side, you know, of like how people think. And I got to experience, I got to experience firsthand like racism, you know, and, uh, and, and it was, it was, it was, a, it was, it was scary and slapped me right in the face. And I was, I was shocked and, and tripping. And then I started thinking about like, you know, someone told me before, I was like, well, why do kids run? Why would you run from the police? I was talking to one of my white friends out here. And I was telling him because the police wasn't our friend in the hood. Like, when, when the police showed up, you run. Like, because what, what I've experienced is I would see the police would be calling us the N-word. And, and I was like 10 years old, 11, calling me the N-word when I'm on my bike. And uh, he threw my friend's bike on the, like in the gutter you know, over a ditch. I was like, I mean, crazy stuff, man. Like I seen one of our, one of my friend's brothers get beat down by some cops just because I can't remember exactly what it was, but that in my mind, I was like, wait a minute, these guys are dangerous. I, they're not friends, they're enemies. So that kind of, it kind of stayed with me for the majority of my life, you know, as I was growing up becoming a, you know, a teenager and then an adult, but living in Hawaii pretty much changes everything about like that, that way of thinking because it's, it's a whole different world over there. You know, it's not the mainland. This was in Charleston, South Carolina, where my dad had a house in. The Hawaiian East Coast, the South is a whole different ballgame. Um, so, but I was fortunate to be able to live in both worlds. You know, so I, I, I can see both sides and why people feel the way they do. You know, and actually... And I could actually analyze this and be like, okay, this is why I felt this way. And this is why they're feeling this way, you know? And I think I get some, I get some cred because my friends know I was wild, you know, just like them. But I've also lived, I lived a good life and I also lived a pretty, a pretty rough life, you know? So, um, I think that's, that's why this discussion is so important. Yeah. And when you called me, what was it that you said that it sparked me? I said, well, let's talk on, the, on my podcast. You that, you, okay. what was it that line you said? You said, Jason, um, Absolutely. Well, you know, Jason, well, let's start. Like, so I was trying, I called you, I texted you earlier and I was trying to get a hold of you because I needed your input on the, on some things that I was dealing with. Just, you know, the way the things are going on in the world right now and how I wanted to get your opinion on this. And um, so I said, I, I basically told you like, look, Jason, like, I'm confused. I don't know. I don't know who to believe anymore. And what I meant by that is I would say that I'm, I've been a Democrat most of my life, you know, um, and the things that have been going on 
you know, a lot of things that I'm seeing, I can't, I can't distinguish the difference between the Democrat and Republican anymore. Um, the things that I've, that I've been told or what I've learned as, you know, a Republican, I have a lot of friends, believe me, I have a lot of friends that are Republicans, Democrats, and that doesn't mean I'm not, we're not still friends. I mean, I disagree with what they're saying, what they believe in, but at the same time, we're still friends. But now I'm, 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 I'm completely confused. I don't know who's, who, I don't know who's actually looking out for my best interest anymore. I don't know who's looking out for our best interest anymore as an American citizen patriot. Okay, like, let me just go there. Like, I'm, I'm an American, true and true. Um, I will fight any war for our country, for our freedoms, for our rights and liberties. Um, just so saying, my whole family's been military. I've been born and raised. Only reason why I didn't go to the military is because I joined, I went to college <laughs> and I got a really good job right after college. So I didn't have to do that. And my dad was pushing me not to go in the military. But um, so I was destined to be in the military. I'm a soldier. Um, so as of right now, I don't know who or which, which party is actually looking out for all of our best interests you, you at know, this point. You know, and that's what I wanted to have you on because I feel the same way. And you know me, I was chairman mm. of the College Republicans when we went to the University of Hawaii. Sure. I love the Republican Party. I love our history. We were founded right. to end slavery. For 100 years, we yeah. fought for desegregation. You know, we stand up for life. We fought totalitarianism across the world. So I am a Republican. But as I look at everything that's going on, if I came here with no loyalties, no attachments, I would think the Republicans establishment and the Democrat establishment were a team. And their goal was to create division. And when I look at the radical left, and the radical right, or what we call the alt-right. I just call them illiberals. To me, there are liberals and illiberals. What a liberal is, is, an, is somebody, and I think the conservative movement traditionally was thought of to conserve liberalism. That was the Republican Party's mission. And then with Nixon and the Southern strategy, conservatism in the South meant conserving race-based privilege. And in the North, the Republican Party was preserving the Anglo-American political tradition of liberalism of religious pluralism, free markets, uh, freedom of speech, the Bill of Rights, you know, these things. The abolitionist movement, anti-communism, that, broadly speaking, was liberalism. Well, today, the, the neoliberals and the neoconservatives do not believe in liberalism, properly understood. And I don't mean like leftist politics. I mean liberalism is the grand American tradition of you can think what you think. You can pray who you pray to. I pray to who I pray to and, and, and right. think what I think. And then we work together through our Constitution, through all these different mechanisms, write letters to the editor, argue at barbecues and love each other, and then go play pool. <laughs> like that, to sure. me, is America. And then you have right. this, this neoliberal and neoconservative, which we should just call them neo-illiberals, Hillary mm. Clinton, um, and Mitt Romney, that's, and they're the same to me. Then the alt-right, uh, people who are violent or make appeals to anti-Semitism or racism, are no different than Antifa, right? They're no different. Right. They're, they're looking they're no for an excuse to be violent, to be vicious, to be cruel, uh, to steal. You see white kids with $300 skateboards 
If you got a $300 skateboard, you'd have nothing to complain about. And if you're using a $300 skateboard to smash out a car window, that tells me something. You don't value that $300 skateboard, which means daddy's going to get you a new one. Correct. And so what we're trying, so I'm confused, you know, but I wrote my book, The Race to Save Our Century, because I was confused. And I, I was like, in the midst of this confusion, what can I do? And... And I, I, that was it. And to me, I boiled it down to five things. Number one is value every human person as having an incomparable dignity and worth. And number two was trying to correspond my life not to the opinions of the majority or to the government or even man-made laws, uh, but to seek to be just, uh, transcendently just. Like Martin Luther King said that uh, a just law is a man-made law that corresponds to God's will. So look for that transcendent moral truth. Uh, number three is subsidiarity, which means don't remove distant, um, unaccountable power from your life. And I call it think local, act local. You know, look around yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, the homeless in your neighbors, the people in your local prison. And how do they need you? How can you serve them? Uh, subsidiarity. Four is a humane economy, adjust social orders, grounded in your private property rights your right to use your talents to make a living for your family and yourself. And then five is solidarity, that you, you take all of your privileges, all of your opportunities, all of everything you've been gifted with, your mind, your wealth, your friends, your community, and then lean in to serve the vulnerable. So in the midst of all this confusion, I keep in thinking to those five principles because I don't know what the heck's going on. I watch Cuomo, and he's throwing gasoline on the fire. And then I listen to Trump say, dominate the streets. And that's throwing gasoline on the fire. Can you, I, I want, you know, and I think what's really sad is that people, different people here, you can say the same thing and different people hear it differently. So when Trump said, dominate the streets, a lot of people are like, what was wrong with that? We want him to dominate. Don't we want him to dominate the streets? Now, instantly when I heard that, I was horrified. Not nearly as horrified as I was at the, at the black police officers being assassinated, not nearly as horrified as I was uh, at George Floyd being killed, not nearly as horrified as I was seeing our cities on, on, on fire. But I thought, just like when I listened to Cuomo speak on CNN, this is not helpful. This is destructive. How, how did you hear it when President Trump said, dominate, we need to dominate the streets? And speak, how did you, you know, speak, how did you hear okay. that? Sure. I'll speak straight from the heart, man. Like when I, when I heard that I was, um, the first thing that came to my mind, which is, <laughs> which is when it was just when, uh, when I saw on CNN, um, they were showing, um, like protesters. It was, it was doing that, uh, it was doing that other, the other, um, March that they were doing. It was like a, and it was, um, there was these, Angry white supremacist guys walking down the street. Oh, Charlottesville. Um, exactly, and they had and they had armed. They were armed to the teeth, like I mean, automatic weapons and, and all military gear. But these were these were just citizens, so-called American citizens, walking straight down the street. There was a synagogue and a guy in the synagogue. He was scared for his life when I saw him. He saw them walk by and he was like terrified. Um, and and um, that's when I realized is like wow. This is America where 
if a black man walks down the street with a with a weapon with a weapon, he's probably gonna get killed. No, I mean, there's he's gonna die. These guys are marching freely down the streets with automatic weapons, assault rifles, and and it's all good. And the police were right there with them, watching them, watching them walk down the street. Like, like now, it's was all this good. Charlottesville or was this Michigan where you had the reopen event? I think it was. I believe it. I think it was. I think it was. They were protecting a. They were protecting a. Uh, what were they protecting, man? When, oh, when, it was. When, uh, when, when was this? Oh, uh, was it last year? Oh yeah, that was two years ago. Yeah, Charlottesville. Last year. Yeah, yeah last year. When they were protecting the, uh, it, was, it was a statue. A couple years ago. Statue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Robert E. Lee yeah. statue they were pulling down. Exactly. And they were like, nah, we're not going to let that happen. And and I was, and I was thinking like, because I'm a father. And I have friends that, you know, um, that I, I'm, I'm not even going to exaggerate, man. I'm telling you, every black friend that I have, a male, has experienced some type of racism, um, including being profiled and being targeted by the police in some, in some negative way. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's happened to me. It's happened to all my friends, all my black friends. It happened. I was with some of my, I was with a, one of my white friends in Hawaii when it happened and, and Hawaii is different. It's like, it's different, <laughs> you know, but because I was with him, he was able to talk them down. You know what I mean? Cause they, they, they wanted to talk to him, you know, it's my friend Dougie Fresh. Well, Dave, Dave Chappelle, <laughs> I use, I Dave, use Chappelle I use Dave, Dave, Dave Chappelle does that skit where he's like, "I don't go anywhere without a, a white friend in the car." <laughs> I know, and I totally related <laughs> to that. I totally related to that man. And and we decided like when he's with us, if we ever get pulled over because we're drunk or whatever, he's the guy that's going to talk to him. And we've never gotten any trouble because of that. I mean, I, there's some truth to what David Chappelle said. I'm telling you right now, there's some truth to that. Um, well, you know, it's, and, it's it's interesting, bro, because, I mean, you you see me get involved in mischief. I think you might even see me get arrested. I got arrested on college. Um, I was always getting in fights, but I could all shucks the police. I would go, oh, shucks. Um, you know, he was picking on me, called me Holly. And then even the local police would side with me against the local kid, the Hawaiian kid or the Filipino kid. They would always fall for my oh, shucks routine. And wow. when in my neighborhood going up in Country Club Hills, me and my friends, by the way, there's no country clubs nor no hills in Country Club Hills. So don't get it twisted. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, that sounded that sounded really. Uh... <laughs> you're like, ooh, Country Club Hills. That's like one country of those names Club. like Greenland, you know, um, <laughs> right? You show up, you're like, wait, what? That's a privilege. That's some privileged stuff right there. Oh, no, people, I, I love watching when people attack me on social media. This white guy from Country Club Hills born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Right, and uh, that's because you know that's what we that's what that because because you're so you're, you're so elo- eloquent in the way you speak. That's why I think you know what I mean. Like you're not the average guy on the street. Like when you talk to you, you're gonna you can tell there's there's a, there's a lot of intelligence here, and automatically you assume this guy come from money. He's from money. I mean, that's, that's the only way. I don't uh, I, at UH, I try to understand. No, at UH, all the faculty <laughs> assumed I was some, like, trust fund rich kid. Right. They would no, take absolutely. me aside and go, you know, you privileged. You were born to a life of privilege, and that's why you're chairman of the College Republicans. Like, it never processed that I was 21 <laughs> with two kids. Like, what? <laughs> Working yeah. three jobs, putting myself through school with my GI Bill. Right. But, no, right. And, that's how I knew you. So we, we were struggling together. You know, we were, right. we're eating spam and, like, you Simon know. And- 
Simon, rice. You know, right? Simon and rice was dinner a lot of times. Yeah, and eggs we, every day. You know, and we eggs every day, and that's what we had. And if my if my mom didn't bring groceries, or you didn't bring groceries, that that that's it. We, <laughs> we might have to rough it. We get some uh, burgers from uh, Whoppers, the, the when they're ninety nine cent Whoppers. <laughs> Right. You remember that? No, yeah, no. I remember walking one day. I had to walk home from class, and I was going to walk to the Jack in the Box. I hadn't eaten in two days. And I was like, okay, I'm going to walk to the Jack in the Box looking at the ground the whole way. And if I can find 99 cents, no, it was dollar three. I can get two tacos right. at Jack in the Box. That's right. And, you know, Hawaii was 30, it was three cents. Uh, yeah, so I walked yeah. looking to the, it was God was so good. Like I literally walked looking from uh UH toward the Jack in the Box, which was a mile away, and looking at the ground the whole way. And I was like ten feet away from Jack in the Box, and I only had like ninety six cents or something like that. I'm like, oh no, I'm not gonna be able to get my two tacos. <laughs> and then wow. like like 10 feet from the door, there was a dime, you know? And I was like, oh, <laughs> winner. <laughs> but oh, then wow, I would go man. to class, you know, and I would have the teachers, uh, the professors railing against me of being a wealthy, you know, privileged kid. And it just made me laugh. I just chuckled that they could think that. I don't know. Where, where were we going? When I, where was I going? We di- digressed on that. Um, the fact that you, that you, you look the appearance, you have, you have that appearance. I mean, you know, if somebody didn't know better, they would assume that right away. And I, you know, and um, so you were able to get out of the police. Oh yeah, so I would know, always situation. get in trouble. I would yeah. always. So that was something. Even as a boy, I learned in Country Club Hills. That's what I was talking about. That if I got mm. in a fight or some kind of trouble, I could talk my way out of it. Didn't matter if the, matter if the police officer was white or black. They assumed I was not guilty of whatever it is I was really guilty of. Um. Mm. And I was just, you know, I was a, a frustrated, angry kid. And I remember as I got older, now I was maybe in seventh or eighth grade. And I was, I didn't feel like breaking anything, but I loved running from the police. And we would normally do something stupid, like throw crowbars at the, the street lights or something. And till the police came and then we'd run in every different direction, harass the cops or whatever. And one day we got the idea of, so we didn't so, actually. So let's be clear. So was this, was this, was this you and your white friends? No, no. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. No, no okay. I mean, yeah, okay. maybe there was one white friend, Aaron, and okay. uh, but mostly black friends. But I was the ringleader okay. of the of the shenanigans. Like I was the one always doing stupid <laughs> things. And um, I remember, like, I didn't even want to. Like, I don't want to break stuff anymore. <laughs> I was like, I, I was getting older. I realized, you know, that this wasn't probably the mm. best thing to be doing: setting dumpsters on fire, or throwing crowbars <laughs> at light poles, or the dumb things we would do. And so we were like, well, let's just call 911 and make stuff up about what we were doing. So wow. I'd, I'd say, hey, <laughs> call 911 and say, there are a bunch of kids at the corner of like Windsor Lane and yada yada, and they're uh, in Provincetown Drive and they're throwing crowbars at streetlights. And then we would stand under the streetlight. And then when the police, right as they pulled up, we'd run in every direction, you know? And then when they chase one of us, then the other would run and stand on their police car and taunt them. And then they'd chase, run back to their car, and then then they'd run away, and he'd chase him, then we'd run back to their car. We were just little troublemaker kids. But, Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying this. I, I feel guilty. I get pleasure thinking about how rascally we were as kids. You know, that kind of thing doesn't bother oh me. God. 
I, I feel guilty about when wow. I was damaging property. But so that's why, by the way, I, my parents were divorced before I was one. You know, I never had my parents in the same house. My mom was divorced and remarried, had different guys coming around. And so I was an angry young man, you know, young boy, angry and confused and trying to figure out life. And that's why I have sympathy for these young people. Um, even the young white kids with their little, with the skateboards, the $300 skateboards, you know, they don't have a dad that's involved in their life. You know, their mother's not focusing on them, right? You know, these kids are lonely and alienated, looking for community, looking for a sense of belonging. So I can have sympathy for all of these young people out there, all of them. Uh, I think they're acting foolish, but young people can be allowed to act foolish. But my great frustration has been the way adults in the room, by the way, who never knew what it was like to be that kind of kid. (laughs) Right. Right. They don't know what it's like. Joe Biden doesn't know what it is to be that kind of kid. Donald Trump doesn't know what it was to be that kind of kid. The Cuomo brothers don't know what it's like to be that kind of kid. Um, Yet they're all, to me, creating a, a situation to make things worse for these young people and the people that live in the neighborhoods these young people are wrecking. That's my frustration. And then I see my Catholic bishops, the leadership in the Catholic Church, they're not speaking truth, the hard truth, which is don't destroy property. Don't hurt people. Don't attack police officers. Don't make things hard for firefighters. Don't spray, don't waste taxpayer money that could go for textbooks and for schools, but now they're going to have to fix neighborhood after neighborhood. Don't do that. Who's saying that in America? You know, uh, I, I, I'm hearing them. I'm hearing they speak about it now. I'm out here in L.A., Los Angeles, and uh, our our mayor and governor was. They're definitely speaking that. I've also heard there's like some uh, the brother of George Floyd who, who died. He's speaking that, and uh, and 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 uh, it's it's interesting. But you know the whole the whole mob mentality. You know, that's, that's a real thing. And, uh, you know, when you mix, when you mix, um, you know, when you mix, uh, angry, when you mix like, uh, depression and suppression, you know, with poverty, then this is what happens. Like, you know, when, when something, it just reached the boiling point and when it, when it hits that level, it explodes, boom, and then now you got angry people out there, uh, you know, trying to just trying to just trying to, um, you know, like release that anger and frustration out on something, and so this is what happens, you know. Um, you know, people are like, why do they do that? Well, this is why. Like, you know, we have a, I mean, we have a, we have a, we have a system right now that uh, for for a lot of black people or black youth I feel it's not it's not there for them the system is not designed for them um the police department they're killing they're killing black people and we've known this i mean i've known this my whole life i mean it's like but being on being on military bases i was very sheltered from that but my dad would tell me because he's from the south he's from he's from charleston south carolina and he he told me like yeah son Got it. So I had that speech with him before they, before that speech was even something to speak about, you know, like now 
it's it's like a, a known fact that black parents have to have that that talk with their children about how to respond to police officers when they're approached when they're in their cars we have there, there's a system that we must follow or we could be killed you know and so um it's a scary scary world that i can only speak for myself i guess but but as a black man in america and now that i'm in los angeles you know it, it's a very scary place to be and where where i feel that i don't have the the support of the police which was designed to protect and to and serve so can i address you know that I mean? so i'm gonna i'm gonna, please, I'm gonna please, so when i hear please. that and i've experienced it as a boy especially i witnessed uh police brutality i witnessed it uh, to children mm. um and i and so i know this is real but am i naive to believe because i truly really truly believe that most 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 vast majority most i believe that there are less racists in our police departments just like in our military than in Agreed. any other profession so if you're to take school teachers catholic priests oh. uh, short order oh, cooks short order oh. cooks like i mean if you were to take most professions I'm... i would think there's less racists mm. in the police force than in those other professions and the reason why i think that is because mm. I think that most police forces, uh, at least the ones I've been around in the mainland, have a lot of minorities. They have a lot of diversity in the force. And so when you work with people, you love people, you go to parties together, you play cards together every Friday, you're in life and death situations together, that you get a real special bond and, and all the BS kind of goes away. Is that naive okay. to think that, that the police are probably less racist than most other professions. And I got another point to that, but I just, am I naive in thinking that? Well, all right. I mean, for me to, me, I'm going to, this is just my opinion. I'm going to say yes. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to say yes. Reason. I mean, because I've experienced the most racism through the police in my, in my lifetime. Um, I've also, but you know, I never thought of it that way. I never, I never thought about that at all. Um, uh, I will say this. I believe that, I do believe that the majority of police officers are not racist. I do believe that. I believe that the majority of police officers across our country are actually good people and they actually want to help. I really, really believe this. I want to make that perfectly clear. I'm not talking about every police officer. I have police friends that are really dear to us, like I do. And so I, I would be doing them a disservice by coming out here saying that. I truly believe that there are more good police officers than there are bad ones. Okay, I'll go there. But in terms of the, the most, I, man, that's, that's a good one. I think that there's so much, I think because you can see it more clear. I, I really see because, I mean, I can, you, can, you can just Google it right now. How many black how many black people have been killed by police officers, white police officers in, in this year? Last year, year before. So that creates I was a looking lot of, that up. Okay, so that creates a mm-hmm. lot of um there's a lot of controversy swirling around that. So by the way, I feel like we're back in college again. Um <laughs> a so, <little> bit. <laughs> so there's there's not enough never mind, I'm not gonna say that. So um <laughs> I gotta be careful. So um uh 
I, I, what was it going? Like, I, I almost said something catastrophic I shouldn't have said. <laughs> and then I, oh, um, yeah, no, we're talking about the police, and I believe that they're more, they're more, um, uh, oh, yeah, this is the controversial thing I was going to say. Okay, this was it. So I saw Tucker Carlson on Fox News yesterday. He went over all the African Americans, all the black people who were killed by police this year, and he went over it case by case. And then he was showing these numbers saying, Actually, greater number percentage of white people were shot by cops this year. Right. Then, so I'm glad you brought that so, up. I'm so, so glad so, you brought that up. So when when I when you I know when you hear Tucker Carlson say that, you think you're trying to diminish our reality, right? That's what people think. Sure. But then when you're white, you think I believe these statistics, and I go, okay, there's progress there. And then I hear people say that we've made no progress, and I think maybe we did. Um. And maybe the real problem now isn't racism. I, I think our drug laws and how they're enforced selectively in certain communities is the big problem, right? Put that aside for right now. And I think sure, the welfare yeah. state and the great society was an oh, abysmal geez. failure that ripped the black family apart, which I'm not allowed to talk about. I'm told I'm not to talk about it. And that was the big fight we had in college <laughs> when I almost got in a fight oh, with that yeah. guy. Where I was saying oh, the welfare yeah. state is what's destroying the black family. We need to speak. I have the courage to speak up against that, and someone didn't take, didn't like that. But so, yeah. but I think maybe the real problem is. Well, for the record, I like I would I agree with you on that one. For the record. Well, th- yeah, maybe yeah. I want to get back to that, but but I think okay, maybe the real problem is the two big problems are our drug laws, and we've militarized the police in this quote unquote war on drugs, and. Mm. And then what you have is fear in a community um, and you pit the military, I mean, the police that have been militarized. Like when I was a kid, it was like officer friendly. They wore their hats and they, you know, they didn't look like soldiers. Now police increasingly look like soldiers. Well, that that occurred because of the mob, you know, the, the mafia. They, they were, they were the arm to the teeth, you know what I'm saying? And then... uh and then when the drug, you know, the drug dealers started getting, you know, protecting their turf, they, they started getting automatic weapons. And back in the day, every cop was issued a 38 special or something like that, you know. But then the average gang member was was, was packing like a not like a, a 45 or like a, you know, a Uzi <laughs> or something, you know, uh, AK-47. Something. So like, so the, so the police, the police department had to had to adjust to that so i would say i, I can see why that happened um and the gang the gang uh the gangs grew bigger and bigger as the you know the times went on but and they, and they I, built it, around the drug trade right i mean that that the, the gang completely com- all that completely. money and all the fighting was over selling completely. drugs absolutely absolutely the gangs were for sure um for sure but what i will say is that the um, is that I, I believe that the that the, the racism with the police has always been there towards blacks. I will say that it's always been there, and it, and uh, because they've been. I mean, you just look at the look at it, man. They, they've been killing blacks since it's been legal to kill black people in America since the, since the beginning. Like it's been legal. Um, if you're white and, and you're and you you kill a black man, you could probably get away with it. And I'm gonna and I'm going on I'm on the air saying that 
right now. See, I mean, but, could, I, but I think that's crazy. I mean, I, I find that really hard to believe. Today, I mean, if I don't know what percentage of homicides are successfully prosecuted, that you find, they find the guy and they convict him, but I, you know, I find it hard to believe that that our our legal system. By the way, mostly is mostly progressives, right? And and the, all these judges and all these lawyers, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives. And I'm a conservative Republican, and I'm around I'm, conservative, powerful Republicans, white people alone. And I have never, let me think. I don't think I've ever heard any. No, once, honestly, once I heard something racist at a conservative event that blew my mind. Um. And that was it, ever. You know, I'm a six foot two blonde guy. I'm thinking if there's racists lurking around at these events, I'm the guy they want to talk to and try to recruit for something. I, if, if they're not, <laughs> if they're not trying to talk to me, I'm offended, right? Like, hey, aren't I your poster child? <laughs> I, I, right? Then you know, your aura, you don't give off that aura. I'm just, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you just don't give off that aura. Like, I think, you know, but I'm telling you. <laughs> My experience has been a lot different. It's uh, and first of all, there's a trial, so there's a, you know, there's a, uh, a jury trial, right? So I looked at all the like Rodney King, for instance. In the jury trial, he had I forgot how many people, but the majority were white, white people on the, in the, as jurors. He had like one black guy, white, Asian. So like, you know, what I'm saying that's how they all got a, that's how they all, all of them got off on, on Rodney King. Like can, all right. So let's just go there. This is this is what eighty. Well, 90, I think I think 92. that's the power of the police union. Now, if you're talking about police people dying in the care of the police and getting away with it, I mean, I think that's the the power of the police unions. Well, 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 well. Look, well, they went to court. Okay, they they went to court. Okay, so these these cases went to court, right? And they were acquitted. Every last one of them. Yeah, no, a lot of my friends, even conservative black friends, are are, not one of them thinks, not one of them thinks that George Floyd's, um, that these officers will be found guilty. Not one of them thinks that. Not one of them thinks that the officer is going to be found. You know what? I have to. Not one of my black, I mean, I I mean, very even prominent conservative friends who are black. I believe, I believe the same, I believe the same thing. So then, also, all of I my white, cons- all my white conservative friends are like, "Well, one hundred percent, he's guilty." You know, even even if there were, uh, you know, he was on drugs, even if he resisted arrest, you know, it, it it looked to me like an assassination. In fact, I mean, I thought that was because we were having a conspiratorial call on the on the phone. We were talking conspiracies. I'm like, let's talk about that on the air, but. Um, you know, when I saw it, I said to my wife, I mean, this looks like an assassination. Mm-hmm. This looks like a man who's actually trying to kill somebody. Correct. And then when I found out that they knew each other previously, I'm like, what aren't they telling us? Right. Why didn't they say that? And then, so you're thinking this is premeditated. Maybe, to be honest. Because I was thinking. Or I maybe an opportunity. How... Maybe there was a woman involved between the two of them. That's or, what I was, that's exactly or maybe. But like, like you know, you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, right? And and me and you are fighters, scrapper. You know, you know when you put someone out, you stop. 
And he right. leaned on him for what three minutes after he was out. Dude, now, if you had somebody in a, a sleeper hold, a rear a naked choke, choke yeah. and they right. were out and you kept squeezing, why would you keep squeezing? Because I wanted to take his head off. I want wanted to make sure he's going to die. You wanted to kill him. You wanted to kill him. So I wanted to kill him. As somebody who's a martial artist, when I see this, I'm like, this is an assassination. Yeah. So I think not anyone, I don't care if he was on drugs, I don't care if he resisted arrest, I don't, look, if you're a police officer. The crime has to, yeah, the crime, like, because I, I kept thinking about that. What, because I, I totally believe that, that that was an assassination. And I was thinking, what could he have done so wrong to this man for him to murder him right now, like that way? Yeah, by the way, I don't believe that's, that's that, the, that, I don't, this is going to be controversial. I have, no, what's, I forget the name of the police officer. I have no evidence this guy's a racist. He may not be a racist. I mean, I don't, have any evidence that the, 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 I don't know if this has anything to do with race. In fact, if anything, I think it's personal. I think it's personal. I think it's but personal. I also, but you know what? Now, because of the new evidence that came out, you know, I, I believe that it's probably personal. But, you know, it, it's just hard to imagine. I couldn't think of a reasoning that I would... The only thing I came up with, and and I and I apologize for even saying this to them, to your listeners, but no, I, you, I look at it as people way... are eavesdropping on our phone call. So if they want to eavesdrop, they okay. say, "See what you're going to say." <laughs> okay, well, this is well, just two guys you know, talking conjecture. We're not. This isn't uh, CNN. You know, the only way, the only like the only thing that comes to my mind. There's two things: either this guy raped and killed my daughter. I'm going to kill this man. Like I'm saying that on live. <laughs> Hey, oh, you think he, he did something real off. bad to this guy maybe in the past that he was just getting revenge? That's the only, but look, that's the only thing I can come up with. He could have slept with his you wife. That's not enough. This uh, our man sleeps with your wife. Well, it, kill him like you know, that. okay, this is where I hate to say out loud, but I've had dealings yeah. as a kid with corrupt police and around corrupt, corrupt police. Um, this guy worked at a nightclub mm. for 17 years. Right. The other guy worked there for one year. And, right? and he worked out front. And maybe right. this cop, maybe they had some sort of dirty deal going. And maybe this guy was threatening to turn on him or something. I mean, right. this, this is where when I heard they worked at a nightclub together, I'm like, well, yeah. what do bouncers do at nightclubs a lot of times? Right. They're involved in with prostitution. Sex and drugs. Drugs. Yeah. Sex and drugs. Yeah. So... I'm thinking maybe these guys were running some kind of racket together. Maybe he was afraid this guy was going to flip on him or, right. or taking his money, or maybe they're messing. They they have the same girlfriend, something funny like that. So my okay. first thought was, and when I hear everyone talking about it's racism, it's racism, it's racism. I don't think everything's right. I have this beautiful Asian friend. She's a Korean girl, beautiful. She's always like, I hate when guys with Asian fetishes stare at me, and I'm like, you don't know. You, you're beautiful. They're just they're looking at you because you're beautiful, <laughs> right? right? It, it, it's not necessarily because you're Asian. I'm just telling you now. You're beautiful. There could be a guy who hates Asian women. They're gonna look at you. Okay, that's just the way it is. Um, <laughs> and, and so I don't know, but you know, if I were to go on CNN or Fox News or anywhere, if any mayor or governor came out and said, "We don't know that this has anything to do with race," they would be doxed and destroyed by the mob. Yeah, for sure. Why is that? Why can't we say the obvious, which is we literally have no idea. 
The other motivation could be because he has this <laughs> distant look in his eyes. Like he's staring. Maybe this guy was stressed out thinking about something at home and he wasn't right. paying attention. He maybe was he just lost time, lost track of time. But no, but when his, okay, but the part that got me the most was like, I'm a jujitsu guy, man, you know. Like a knee, a knee to the neck is, is like illegal. And if you did a knee to the neck at any tournament, you would be, guys, especially in Hawaii, they'll be jumping out the stands wanting to kick your butt. Like, yeah. They'll be fighting on the mat. So, like, you cannot, you cannot do that. You know, because, I mean, a knee to belly is so uncomfortable that you have to get out of that, escape that immediately. And, like, you'll give up your back before you give to, to allow somebody to put their knee to your belly. Trust me. So, knee to neck. That's got to be the most painful thing I've ever heard. Like, I can't imagine that. Yeah, you know, but... Do you so, think that's so something that, so that's, that's ever what, been taught? Do you think he learned that? Is that no, something they teach in the police no, force? I do not. I think that he, he had an opportunity. He had him on the ground, and he had him handcuffed, and he was pretty much wanting to be in his face to let him know who this is, and he put the knee to the neck. But I do believe that uh, he... The police force doesn't teach this. They, they, they flat out said they don't... They've never taught that. They have no idea how he learned that. Um, and then, but the thing that gets me even more than that, and no one talked about it till recently, was that there was two other guys kneeing him. There was three guys on this guy with their knees on him. Three guys with their knees on that one guy, and he was handcuffed. So I'm thinking, what the? How scared do you have to be from a man to have? He's completely, he's completely subdued. Three men on you. You got one on your legs, kneeing your legs, one guy kneeing your back, and the other guy kneeing your neck. How much? He's done. There's nothing. You got this situation handled under and, control. And he's handcuffed. And he's handcuffed. He cannot be a threat at this point. Like, so, you know, but it goes back to, so that's why those other guys are just as guilty. You know what I mean? Because three guys. What you doing, talking story right now? Right. What are you guys thinking right now? And here's my great frustration. You know, it's going to come up that he resisted arrest. I saw some of the video. Police have to deal with, uh, you know, people who are bipolar, who have a bad reaction to their drugs. I mean, I had a friend who ran through her neighborhood naked, um, taking antidepressants, and it had an an adverse reaction. And she was out of control. Would I want her shot? You know, this is a no, guy who maybe, you know, I have family members I, who are drug addicts who bro, struggle with PTSD it. and bipolar you know disorder. Work, yeah, right. And you know how they could get, you know, and how it, hey, look, remember, I was a, I was a case manager for over 25 years. I yeah, worked with right. the mentally ill adults. I worked, I, I've been around all of, most of my clients were more, uh, they were the more higher, you know, acuity because they need, because I had, I was a man, you know, men have to deal with the more tougher clients. That's how it is. And so um, I've had clients jump out of my car on the highway going at like 45 miles or 50 miles an hour. So I had to slow down and hold them in the car and like, you know, before I pull over on the side real quick so they can jump out. I've had clients that ran down the street naked. Um, you know, I've done, I've been there, you know, but who again. Were, who were professionals, right? Who were lawyers or who were teachers or whatever. But they had they a mental breakdown. They had they were yeah, they, adverse you know, reaction had, to their medicine. People that had great great careers had a great life. And then 
you know, eating out of trash cans. I mean, it's a, it's a, the world we live in is a, is a And police crazy, have to deal with this all the time. So they should be trained on how to properly with deal all with this. Time. They should Agreed. be trained you on how to properly just, do with this. Okay, right. Number two, how in the world can this guy have 18, I'm going to call him prior, because that's, you know, he's a criminal in my world. So he had 18 priors. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if he had 18, uh, what, he had 18 complaints against him. Out of the 18 complaints that was already that was filed through internal affairs at his police department, he also two of them were actually um, was actually handled, and they gave him two letters of recommendation reprimand two uh, two letters one letter each for each one so two out of the 18 were actually all the rest were still open. Not only that, not only that. He also had a he also had, was involved in something where someone else had died on his watch. Oh, I heard about that, that, and it was Klobuchar, or at least her office, that did refuse to um, investigate that. Correct or swept correct. Out now, so how how in the world is this guy still working on the force? First of all, he has to be trained and mentally, psychologically, you know, to be able to handle all that stuff. Then he, but how is he still on the force? I mean, I don't get it right now. What happened? Where, where was the disconnect here? Who, who dropped the ball? Well, you know you what? Know I he, think a lot of it has to do with the union's job is to protect the police officers, right? And I bet yeah. you a lot of police. I, so I was recently arrested. You know that, right? You saw that? No, I did not. Oh, see you that. didn't, brother? I got arrested three <laughs> no. weeks ago. I was on the front page of what? the Star Advertiser. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. What? I was re oh, I was arrested dude. at a reopen Hawaii event. And uh it's all good now. They had no charges were pressed and they dropped I think they dropped everything against me. Nothing is on the docket. So oh and I got a letter of apology from the governor, mayor, attorney general, and chief of police <laughs> promising okay. it would never happen again. Um Wow. Yeah. Well what was that? Was that racism? <laughs> well well, you know, but so th- I'm glad you brought that up because so I will be honest, in Hawaii, when you're white. You think There's a reverse discrimination. You think whether it's true or not, I think every time they're going to mistreat me because I'm white. I think that. I'm just going to be honest. There's totally a reverse. You know what? I, you can think that. I, I totally believe that. I'm Hawaiian. You know what I mean? I know. But I'm Hawaiian I, black. Like, but guess what? Though I don't think I ever have ever been mistreated because I'm white. And uh, in you fact, know, I'll tell a, you, we have a different aura about you. So. I'll tell you a funny story. I don't know if I should tell this. I got in a fight with somebody in my family, really, who's Hawaiian. But these are part of my family, like literally, extended family. And he's a command man, grad. This was like 25 years, 20 years ago. And I had to go turn myself in afterwards. Um, I mean, I I kind of messed the guy up pretty good. And then I had to go turn myself into the Cleehee substation. And I I remember thinking, these guys are going to beat the crap out of me because they're all command man grads. But the truth is right. they all knew him from school and hated him, and they, like, let me go. They didn't even process me. <laughs> they were like, you can go. You can go now. No, my wife was so mad. She, she was just my girlfriend at the time, and she's like, you, never, you need to learn consequences. Um, but, 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 so, but on that note, I was, when I was arrested, there was a woman in the car next to me in the, in, in the, uh, in the main station. And she was throwing a fit, and she was accusing them. She was saying really offensive things, then accusing them of racism because she's white, and they're you know. 
And then she later on, I hear she's making up all these stories about what they did to her. And they were calling her Howley and this and that. I witnessed everything. And not, nothing that she said happened. So the police union, so here in Hawaii, I'm sure every time, not every time, but a lot of maniacs say, oh, they, 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 if you're white, they cry racism, right? So I have right. to imagine the unions are constantly dealing with officers performing arrests the way they're supposed to, doing everything right, and they're being accused of racism. I mean, can't you, I can imagine that happens. Of course. I can totally see that. Absolutely. So the unions, Absolutely. it's very challenging for them to know where to draw the line. And then you've got these cops with this code, right? What is it they call it? The, uh, the blue the blue shield or whatever. Yeah, the blue shield, the, the, the blue, thin blue yeah. line, the code. And mm -hmm. um, my Siri and my pot iPad was just listening to us. She said, what are you saying? I'm not talking to you, Siri. <laughs> um, but so, man, so yeah, so that's brother. why I wish we could just tell the truth. Like, we don't know this is about race. We, we don't know that there's systemic racism in the... I don't know that there's racism in that, that Look, police department. We don't know, we don't know that it, this is about race, okay? But all we do know, and you know, all we do know is that a lot of blacks have been getting killed by police officers and nothing ever happens to them. Nothing ever happens to these guys. They were to get off somehow, some way. It's very diff it's very difficult to convict a police officer of of murder or manslaughter or whatever um, when it's when he's when it's when it's against a black man or woman. I want to I'm going to see the numbers and I'm betting. Check I want to get numbers. to what I think is race though. I think there's something real that, that is based on race that's going on. I want to check the numbers out and see if it's different. If it's drastically different. Um, if they kill white people. Because I just have to imagine that the system is structured to protect police officers. And they are in a dangerous situation. I think most jurors are going to have sympathy for them. Even with this oh. case, when they start you, talking about mm -hmm. whether they're white or black, I think they're gonna, the, the jurors probably have. So I'm guessing, I'm, but this could be my white naivete, but I'm guessing the numbers will be more or less similar. Um mm -hmm in acquittals for cops committing, you know, for people dying on their watch. We should check that out and do a whole show on that. But can I, we get where I think we're going to agree there's race? Um, is in the media. The media is playing a race game consciously. Absolutely, because this is how the vote, this is how the vote, I mean, you know what I mean? How do you get votes? Right, like you, the black vote is, is, is important in any election. It's important. So how do you, how do you get, how do you absolutely get blacks to vote for you or to, or to be against, to vote against the other person? You, you bring up some race card, you bring up the race card. If you bring that up, that guy's, he, it's, it's going to be hard for him to get any black votes. Okay. Right or wrong or indifferent, man. <laughs> now that we're talking about that, what about the woman who, who, uh, who was upset? The guy was walking. She she was walking a dog or something in the park. I didn't really see the story, but I heard of it. My, my wife told me about it, and a few other people were telling me. I was like, really? And basically, what happened was this: this, this woman's walking a dog at a at a park, and it was they were doing something, and they, and, the, and the black guy said, "Hey, can you can you put your dog on a leash, please? Because he's 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 it was all over the place. He's, you know, put him on a leash. Like, 
you know, I don't know, maybe he was nervous, scared, you know, to dog my bike, somebody, whatever. And she says, no. And then she says, you know what? I'm going to call the police. And he's videotaping her the whole time. I'm going to call, I'm calling the police to you right now. I'm going to tell them that you are, you are assaulting me. She's saying this, a white woman. I'm, and she's on the phone talking to police officers. Yes, there's a man here right now who's assaulting me, threatening and assaulting me right now in the park. And it was completely false. Yeah, no. So I want to address that, but first I want to address the Trump thing, because okay, okay, I don't get what? how Trump is getting blamed for this. This what's happening in New York? They're all Democrat cities that have their own governments. There are cities that exist within states, and the governor and the mayors are responsible. You have a Democrat, a mayor, a Democrat governor, Democrat chief of police, a police union. In the most Democrat state in America, Minnesota, the only state not to vote for Reagan, even Hawaii voted for Reagan. So you have the most Democrat state in the union and a, a very Democrat city and what's considered the most progressive place in America, quote unquote progressive, Minnesota. This happens. Trump immediately says he's a, he's a, a head of their own attorney general. He's like, we're on this. Oh, we're going to make sure that this is getting taken care of. And, uh, so I don't see how you blame the president of the United States for what happens in Minneapolis, let alone what happens in New York. You got the Blasio, Democrat, mayor. You just see what I'm saying? So this is as a Republican. Look, yeah. I think Trump Wait, so doesn't what, do himself any favors when he says things like what dom- did, dominate the streets. Right, what did, right, what did Trump, so what, who blame, who's blaming Trump for New York? Well, what is what is he getting to blame for there? Well, I think Cuomo and 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 uh, De Blasio are blaming each other, and then they're blaming Trump. And oh, oh, you talking about for the COVID COVID nineteen? Oh, no, no, well, no, for all of it. Yeah, really, they they like they blame yeah, Trump absolutely. for COVID. Uh, I yeah, want to sure. know what he has to do with the high skyrocket death rate in New York State. That's Correct. Cuomo's yeah. responsibility, and De Blasio's. And Cuomo was the one. I don't know if you know about this, but he sent. Uh, people who were COVID positive into old folks homes, into nursing homes. And several thousand people died in outbreaks in nursing homes because they sent COVID patients to nursing homes. So I don't know how Trump, yeah, that's a foul. Send you the articles on it. A hundred percent fact. So I don't know how they always want to blame the president of the United States for what happens in every little corner of America. I say, the mayor's responsible, the governor's responsible, and if the mayor and the governor don't do their job and the president sits on his hands, then I'd say he's responsible. Um, but I felt on okay. this, Trump yeah. acted really fast. And I, and I, and I, let me, I've been, you know, I think you know this. You remember I was furious about Trump being the nominee. I am not a Trump cheerleader, but yeah. I do not think Donald Trump is a racist. In fact, I think... He really is doing the best that he can to use his office. Well, the liberal left establishment throwing rocks at his heads with his criminal justice reform, the leadership that he has had in criminal justice reform. I think this is genuine. I don't think he thinks of any, any, and I don't think he has any hope of making headway with the black vote, but this was very important to the black community. And he was a leader on that. And he'll never get a thank you for that or an attaboy for that. Um, so, yeah, I just don't. Yeah, it's going to be hard for him. All right, so, okay, let's talk about New York. But look let's at the crime bill. 
that 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 Biden, you know, drove home, and Biden with his comments to me, which were despicable. On you, you probably heard the the what he said on the radio that if you mm-hmm. don't vote for me, you lose your black card. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, who says that? You know, someone who's comfortable. You know what I mean? I think he feels he got a little comfortable, right? Um, because he is he is in the winning the he's getting the black vote at that point in time, and uh, he was the vice president of you know Obama, and so he's getting a little bit of street cred, you know what I mean, for being black, you know, for being you know what I'm saying from the black community. He's he's going to black cities and churches, and he's starting to, you know, he's starting to you know the to get his base support. He understands that the black vote is huge. So I think he got a little comfortable, you know. But at least he didn't use the N-word. <laughs> Did Trump use the N-word? No. See, no, Trump didn't use the N-word. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to be funny, but you, you didn't laugh, but uh, okay. No, I was like, I nowadays you don't know. I gotta work on that. No, I mean. <laughs> I gotta work on that. I gotta work on that. No, I mean, like, I that's good. That no, I, but I do, look, I think that pro- Democrats can get away with murder. They can say whatever they want, and the the, the liberal establishment well, will, yeah. will, well, Trump will is, defend. Trump, I, I believe Trump can say anything. I mean, think about it. Like, Trump says anything. I mean, he said he could shoot somebody out in Times no, Square like, and get away with it. But, he, you know, what, what he learned he is he could say anything. <laughs> they'll attack him, and it doesn't seem to affect him. But the, the, he'll still get attacked. Well, like, look, going across so who, to this so church, that's why you called mm-hmm. me. You sent me the picture of him across the church. And you're like, what's up with this? Yeah, but that was the only reason I said that was because it was not that I'm saying that I want to compare him. So basically, the, the picture I sent you was a picture of Trump holding the Bible. And on the bottom was it was it was going viral, you know, and on the bottom was a picture of Adolf Hitler holding holding a Bible, whatever he's holding his Bible. Um, and the what in no in no in no time did I ever think or I was making a comparison between him and Hitler. That was not my comparison. That's not what intrigued that's not the part that, that caught my attention. What caught my attention was the fact that he was holding it the exact same positioning way as Hitler was. Like to the T. Now look at it again. Like his thumb because it's a weird way to hold a hold a book, to in my opinion. It's not the natural way to hold a book. If you're going to show somebody a book, you're going to, like, just just grab a book from your desk right there. Grab your book and hold it up with one hand, in, like, on, in front of you or to the side of you. Look how you're holding it, right? I'm holding my iPad right no, now. No, yeah, full and transparency. And I'm holding it sideways. Yeah. When I saw it, you know, I saw the picture. They, I saw a meme going around with him. And, and this is where I think he's a jujitsu master. I think he knew that they were going to come after him for that picture. And they were ready to fire back. And they had, now everyone's talking about Bill Clinton went to the same church, held up a Bible the same day they found the blue dress. So this is what Trump yeah. does to them every time. He, that's a good thing. but He went but up some. That's but, a good thing. But. But why is he, but look, why is he, okay, but, okay. It's, it's, it's well, I got a big butt. I got a big, I got a big crazy oh, butt. Oh, what's your butt? What's your, okay. My big crazy <laughs> butt is, I'm going to tell you what I thought as soon as I saw it. It looks like something from Duncan's book of Masonic rituals. Oh, 
It wow. looks very Masonic. I mean, it looks very ritualistic. And um, mm. if, you, if you look at uh, a book of Freemasonry and Masonic rituals, and it's it's very, it is, I agree with you, it is just a very awkward, uh, I kind of felt like he had the look of like, he didn't even want to do the photo shoot. Like someone said, hey, we're going to go across, we're going to have you hold up a Bible, we're going to take some pictures. Right, and he was like, "Let's just walk walk well, across it." You I to can be assassinated? Totally, dude, that that, that is incredible. That's crazy. That's crazy. That is like, I'm gonna have to think of. I'm gonna have to research this more. But wow, okay. <laughs> so when I took the picture, I thought it looked very weird. First of all, by him taking the picture, then him being um, compared to Hitler was very strange, and the way he was holding the Bible, and then. When the when the reporter asked him what Bible are you holding, he said, "Yeah, it's a Bible." He didn't even know what kind of Bible it was. So I, I believe somebody just gave him that Bible. He went up there and held it up. So now your point actually makes more sense to me because it's like, yeah, he was doing the he was doing the ritual. That makes more sense because he didn't really want to do this, but hey, I'm gonna go do this. I'm right not now. saying he's doing a ritual. I'm saying it looked very ritualistic and or you know awkward what? and like he didn't want to be there. Uh, I'm more now. I'm leaning more towards the ritual. That makes way more sense because he he totally was. He didn't know what he was. The guy asked him. The reporter, "Hey, what Bible do you have?" That's a a Bible. That's what he said. A Bible. It's a Bible. (laughs) See, but that's what I like about Trump. I could just so if I'm gonna bet, you know, not go to conspiracyville. My bet is they're like, hey, Mr. President, they leaked that you went down into the uh, the the shelter yesterday. We need to show a show of strength. Uh, the the park service, you know, they, they're getting ready for the curfew. They've already cleared the streets. Why don't we just walk you across the street and get a picture in front of the church? Here's a Bible. Hold it up. Uh, that's probably what it was. These guys are very busy. Okay. They're very but busy. Look, but, 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 but right before it that, looks they're weird. Like, you know what? Let's 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 go ahead. But let right before, let let's go ahead and uh and uh you know and tear gas tear, tear gas the uh, the people first that are in the park. Well, Trump said, and I don't think the guy's a liar because, like you said, he says whatever he wants. His, I, his timing is kind of. But he said he weird. did not know that they they cleared the streets for him. He he, I believe him when he says, "Hey, hey I went across the street. They, you know, I want to go across the street. I didn't. They didn't tell me they cleared the street for me. I never gave anyone any orders to do that. I believe him a hundred percent because he's the kind of guy I think that if he ordered it, he he would have said." I meant business when I said dominate the streets, and I wanted to go check out the damage, and they cleared away from me. I think he'd have bragged about well, it. Okay, but then did he? Okay, I think he just didn't want to catch the heat for for hitting that reporter that was in that park. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like he hit he hit a reporter or somebody hit her, not him per se, but I don't know. That's a I, you know what? Here's my thing about Trump: the guy lies so much. I don't know when he's telling the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, really, now that he speaks, I never. It's like it's like white noise now because you don't know if it's true or false. It's, it's it's like that. It's weird to me, and I think a lot of Americans are like me now. Like my like my family, like my mother in law will not even. She don't even watch him. Like when he comes on, she's immediately turning the channel. It's like because he's, you know, it's this arrogance and this, you know, um. The lies, like the—I mean, oh my God! Like, well, give me an example of some lies, because I think, look, he's—he's—he's like an old guy. He'll say things 
you know that he heard. I heard this. What did, what did he say recently? I heard. Okay, how about this? Okay, how about this? Here's a, here's a big one that just sticks with me a lot, man. Here's a big one. He, he you know, he, when, you know, when that, the, the murder, okay, was, he says, the, he basically said, I, did, I don't, I didn't, I don't know, I don't know who David Duke is. He told, he told, he told, he told on, on national television, I don't, I don't know who David Duke is. I, I have no idea who that is. No, I don't know who he is. Then they're showing pictures of him with this guy, hands on him. Like he's, I think he had his arm around him and they're like at lunch or dinner. You don't know who David Duke is. Okay, That's so this is going to be the worst defense. Was that a defense. blatant liar? Did, was that a <laughs> and This is yeah, the worst defense ever, but I'm going to tell you what. I think everyone in America knows who David Duke is, right? That's what I'm saying. But. Everybody. But Donald Trump is a New York businessman that ran in those circles. And he meets a lot of people. So I do think it's perfectly within the realm of, of possibility. Because I do. Trump, look, Trump is no Nazi, no Nazi sympathizer, no neo-Nazi. He's got a lot of Jewish family members. He's pro-Israel. I, Does I, he have a lot of Jewish family members? I mean, his, his wife, I mean, his, yeah, son-in-law, and then that whole family's his family, I right? Think it's, I think it's his son-in-law, man, like, you know. Yeah, but that's I his mean, family. I mean, every member of his son-in-law I get you, right? I get you, right? I get you, right? Okay, yeah, okay, all right. I, I do all not, right. and yeah. he's a New York businessman. I don't think he'd have gotten very far harboring that kind of hate. I think he's an old white guy from Queens, talks like an old white guy from Queens. He has whatever yeah. prejudices that old white guys from Queens have. You and I have prejudices. <laughs> we rise above them. Okay. I, I, I did a video yeah. yesterday where I said, you know, in Hawaii, people have prejudice uh, about yeah. white people. But that doesn't mean they're bigoted against me. They're, they're, they're going to, uh, you know, hate me or be unjust to me. It just means that when they hear Howley, they have a certain idea. And the problem is I'm the, I am literally the stereotype of what a Howley is, right? Right. So I can't get I can mad at it. Right? Like I can I'm, attest to that. I'm 100% the Howley stereotype. So when people no, go, you know, you know, you know who they're talking about. That's why. Well, that's me. Oh, you guys are you talking about me. I, I Maybe they're I'm talking res- about you. Wait, what? They're not talking about calling you a Howley. They're not talking about they don't. You're not the typical Howley. You know that. Oh, I think I am, though. I'm talkative. I'm, you I, know, I'm a, I don't think that oh. at all. I'm serious. You're very forward. You are talkative. But you know what? You 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 back it up. That's that's the difference. And you have a heart. Like you care, man. Like you know, that's what I can say about you. Um, and you your aura is different. You know what I mean? When I first met you, I knew we were gonna be friends. This is just how it is. You know what I mean? Like some people, you don't have that. I don't know what that is. I don't even know what it is. To tell you the truth, and I know I'm talking crazy, but there's an aura that you get that that people give off. You know, and and you definitely don't have that. I mean, I believe that you're very confident in what you say, and I know, and I know that because you know what you're talking about, you know. But it doesn't come off as arrogant, you know. That's the, I think that's the big difference. And so Trump has a mad arrogance. Oh, he about does. Him. Look, the two things that bother me most about him is he's arogant. I mean, he and just he's rich. Yeah. Well, I don't mind he's rich. <laughs> so you know, no, I, I mean, rich, I don't mean it. I don't. I don't mind it. I think that he's rich and arrogant. Like, like yeah. that's what really makes him more arrogant. The, you know what I mean? Well, the one thing I wish he would stop doing, the one thing, is the the calumny. Like, I don't know about him lying all the time. I think that we can call each other liars all the time but politically because we look at different statistics and different experts. And so I listen to this expert and look at those statistics. You'll go, that's a lie. Well, no, but this is, I'm looking at this, I'm, and you're looking, and someone else is looking <laughs> at 
other okay. statistics, listen to other experts. And I also think he shoots at the hip. So he'll say something he thinks is true and it's kind of kooky. But that's to me, that's that old man thing. He's just an old dude from Queens who's been very successful and he just says what he says. And that's fine. I don't even mind that. What I am bothered by, the one thing I wish he would do is stop the calumny and the, the, the detraction. Like, who's this idiot from MSNBC? I don't like the guy at all. Uh, Morning Joe, no. Joe Scarborough. Oh. <laughs> and he's oh. like, yeah, I heard Joe murdered some girl down in Florida. Whatever he said. You don't say something like that. You know, yeah. even if you think it, even if you think it, it might be true. If you don't well, know, not very if it, not you very don't statesman, know something you know I mean? is true about another human being, correct? Don't say it. Don't, if don't say it. Don't know. If you don't know, like you could think about what he said about Ted Cruz's father that he killed John F. Kennedy. Like, even <laughs> if you think it, even if you have some crazy reason for believing it. By the way, I love Rafael Cruz. Like he's a friend of mine, right? And every time I'm with him. I think, you know, did this guy kill JFK? <laughs> Why do I think that? Oh. Because it was said. And then people hear it and they go, hmm. That's why calumny is very destructive, right? And, and yeah. when you say something Absolutely. about another human being, and I think Trump is kind of callous to it because people say everything about him and he doesn't care. So he's like, whatever, people say about me, whatever, I'm going to say whatever. But those are the things that he says that I think a lot of decent people can't get past, like your well, family. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny you said decent <laughs> because of something else you said about decent people. Remember that? What I say? There's a lot of there's a not not you but him. There's a lot of decent people on both sides. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of decent people on both sides. Yeah, he's talking about he's talking about Aryan Nation and them guys. Oh, there's a lot of decent people over there. Well, what I think I he mean, was trying all, to say is. This is where I give him credit. Um, I don't think he was—he was not talking about the neo-Nazis, which they, which they, they were trying to paint him with a broad brush. But I think he was saying there's a lot of decent people that don't want to tear down monuments of Robert E. Lee. Oh, but there was a class. The class he, but he was, but what it was was he was responding to the question from the, you know, from the reporters about the clash and how, you know, the, the, you know, the. Basically, between the neo-Nazis and the skinhead dudes, and you know the people that were actually there to, you know, demanding that that statue be taken down. So you had two sides. But there were he, people there who I didn't mean, want that statue down, who were in no way racist, no way bigoted. Sure. That, but they sure. That if but, you're but a southerner, the majority of them that were there, southerner, was like scrapping. Mm-hmm. And this is a complex I issue, mean, right? If you're a southerner, think about it. And yeah, all right, so you're talking about Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee, who was an abolitionist. Oh. Did you know that? General Grant was pro-slavery. And That's Robert E. Lee was an abolitionist. Robert E. Lee is truly, to me, one of the most beautiful human beings ever. You've got to read about this guy. Something, you know, and to him, okay. to him, look, I'm a Republican from a so Republican So you're telling me he family. didn't have no slaves? Uh, I can't, he told me Robert E. Lee didn't have any slaves. I can't imagine Robert E. Lee had any slaves. Wow. C- cannot imagine well, in a million years. Yeah, look that up. Uh, imagine, I know that dude had to have slaves. No. He was so special. For real. And, and look, mm. again and again, um, there were people that fought for the Confederacy 
their families fought. My family fought for the North. My great great grandfather was a, a colonel for the Union Army. Was a, a, a early Republican, George Washington Steele, and was the first governor of Oklahoma appointed, and then became a Republican congressman in the 1880s and beyond. Um, from Indiana, that's my family. We have a long Union tradition, a long Republican tradition, something that I'm very, very proud of. And to me, the Republican Party's history has been what they said it was. They were founded to abolish slavery. They were founded, uh, they fought for 100 years for civil rights uh, before the Civil Rights Act. And that's our heritage and our history. And do I also believe that there were there were economic interests involved in the, in the Civil War? Yeah. Um, and, but I do believe that the animating energy of the Republican Party and its founding was abolition. And that's what motivated the people that fought for the Union. Uh, but that being said, I do not think most Southerners were fighting for slavery because they didn't benefit from it. They weren't slave owners. They saw it as a distant Yankee foreign occupying force uh, lording over their states. And it's very, 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 very complex. But I don't believe for a minute that everyone who is opposed to pulling down statues of uh, Confederate monuments, I do believe, Wig, that there are decent people mm -hmm. that are opposed to pulling down those monuments. I know they are. Of course there are. Um, and there are decent people that see those as a symbol of oppression. And the sad thing is they're both. Right. If you're black and you have to look up at a Confederate flag that was used as a symbol for the Klan and racists up until like yesterday and today still is. That's a symbol of oppression to you. And you see it flying over a courthouse you have to go into. Uh, it's, right. uh, it's 100 percent that. But I can see mm -hmm. how a Southerner who is great grandfather, great great grandfather fought for the Confederacy sees that as just part of their heritage that has nothing to do with racism. And, and for them, it doesn't at all. And that's the complexities. I need to take a drink of water here. I think that's the complexities of all of this. It makes it very difficult. It makes it very challenging, right? And when Trump said that there yeah. are decent people on both sides, I don't think for one minute he was apologizing for the lunatics. I think he was talking about the Southerners who see Symbols of the Confederacy is part of their heritage. Okay, I mean, so you know what? Like every time, every time Trump says something off the cuff and crazy, someone defends what he says by saying, "Oh, you know, oh, he's just old. Oh, he's just he's the damn president of the United States." Oh no, I'm not defending Stop what he has to say for that guy. Stop making excuses no, for no, that guy. I won't man. defend like, him saying he, he is the president of the United States, straight up. What it took a lot to become that guy. There's a lot that when you become that guy, you 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 carry yourself with a different. Like you're different now. You're you're the man. Though. Like you you have to be. You're the you're the realest role model there is. You're the biggest role model in the world at this point. You know, what I'm saying you are that guy. You're like you cannot. You know, be oh he meant to say this. Oh he was just talking. He was just talking. Uh, locker room talk. <laughs> you know, oh, look, what? you what and I, this? you and I, I do. <laughs> you and I've been in a lot of locker locker rooms. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've. I've and never I, heard. I, I, I've I, never heard I, anyone say, "Yo, I just da 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 da." I never heard that. That's. I have never heard. <laughs> no, that's that not even. Life. I think it's disrespectful but, to locker rooms. 
this is what he and he's, he's never even been an athlete. So no, I'm, all, yeah, no I get it. So it's not actually so, locker room talk. You know what it is though? It's what? Hollywood what? elite talk. It's entertainment industry elite talk. You know, it's that's okay. the problem. Well, I know he's got a lot of that. Yeah, sure. I yeah, think it's we how a, Harvey we Weinstein might have talked. Yeah, so that's the sure. problem. Don't don't blame it on athletes. Uh, let's call it like it is. It's some celebrity talk left, left, and he was a right. Democrat. So there's a lot, and the, you know that. So there's a lot of that. So I'm not going to excuse. So maybe let's end on this because totally. this, this is what when totally. when we were talking when I was driving home, I said if I came from Mars. And I had no stake in this. I had no ties, no loyalties. And I had to be honest. I would think that everyone in power is conspiring to destroy this country. Like everyone in power. I would say Tucker Carlson, the mayor of New York, uh, of Alabama, I'm sorry, the mayor of uh, Washington, D.C., and the mayor of Atlanta. Those three people that are very influential are the only three people I have heard that I think when they speak, they're trying to be honest and say and do what is best for America. I, I think that what Trump said about dominate the streets was reckless and imprudent. I don't know why that wasn't getting more media hostility than holding a Bible up in front of the church. I don't get why that offended people. I don't get why it offended people that Trump went to a statue of 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 St. John Paul the Great and talked about religious persecution. I don't get why that offended people. I, I I don't think it's offensive. It's what you know. There was a fire at a historic church. The president wanted to go there and get a photo op. Doesn't offend me. I think the way he holds the Bible a little weird. Um, but I think his big mistake so far has been uh, the way he has been talking. Seems like it is designed to create division. The way. Uh, Cuomo's talking on CNN, and Don Lemon is talking on CNN. CNN seems to me designed to create division. And I want to know why Don Lemon, Cuomo, and Donald Trump are talking. You know, I wish that they would all speak more thoughtfully. I mean, do you, have you heard Don Lemon at all on CNN? I, I used to listen to him quite a bit. Um, I haven't heard him recently. No, um, what's his story? I haven't. I, I haven't. Sorry. If I was a fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old kid, and I was watching CNN, Don Lemon would have had me in the streets throwing Molotov cocktails. Oh, okay, I, I did see what he. I did see. Um, actually, I did see him talk. Um, yeah, he was. He was pretty pretty upset. Um, you know, again, here as a black man, as a black gay man in America. You know what I mean? Like he's he's dealt with he's dealt with a little bit of racism. You know, maybe a little bit. You know, now that he has a platform that he can speak his mind, you know, and in his whole career well, from what I've seen in the last, you know, throughout Trump's Trump's uh, you know, time is that he was completely his whole everything he talks about is about Trump. Is against Trump. It's it, that's all it is. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean because you know, in his mind, Trump represents um, everything that's bad in America. 
you know? I mean, Trump does not like, he, he really, and, and, I, and who am I to speak about this? But, you know, we want to go with the Constitution and, you know, like in the Declaration of Israel, all men are created equal. You know, that hasn't happened yet. I mean, in my lifetime, not yet. I do believe it will. I really believe that it will, but it just hasn't happened yet. You know, um, there's a major disparity but, but between d- the haves and the have not. Okay, I mean, well, that's, that's what I would. Do you think that might be part of the problem? You got a guy like Don Lemon, right? Yeah. Um, privileged, yeah. right? Definitely privileged, right. wealthy, right? And I'm gonna say something else. Yeah. I'm not supposed to say because I'm white, but. I bet you he has had a harder time being a gay man in, in the black community than he has had being black in America. Being black in America, I, I would have I would have to agree with you there. And maybe it's this desire for unity. I think it's our desire to be lo- to love each other and be one that's creating a lot of this problem. I think Don Lemon is is really trying hard to be like this leader for the black community, a community which I bet you internally he feels alienated from. And I think a lot of these young white kids that are just being stupid, I think they've been the worst ones, are like just so much wanting to say, hey, I'm one, we're one, I love you, we're one, that they're doing stupid things. And I think so much of this division is coming from people just trying too hard. And... And then it's, and then this division, like uh, making enemies and allies. Mm-hmm. When, right. No. Right? True. Always looking, yeah. is this my enemy? Agreed. Is this my ally? So Don Lemon has to make Biden his ally and Trump's the enemy. When maybe right. Trump's because not one the, the enemy. Because one's a Democrat, runs the Yeah. You know? You know, that gets right back to our, main, our original point. Like, if you're saying, because each, I mean, all, all, actually, all of the, the, the news stations um, channels they all speak pretty much the same language hate destruction you know depression um, it, it, it's, just, it's just a sad thing to watch you know uh, if they all are working and if they're if, they're, if their agenda is just oh, it seems like they are kind of one like focused on one agenda kind of seems that way makes perfect sense. You're going to, they, they're, they're pushing towards a civil war. You know, I mean, I hate to, (laughs) to agree with, you know, um, predictions and stuff like that, but you know, the next step, you know, of all these predictions, you get the, you know, the virus and this, the next step is martial law. I, I've, been, I've been telling people this stuff for a long time now. The next step is martial law. You know how close we are to martial law right now? Trump just said it. I want to send them in. The, they're going to be in the streets. We dominate the streets. Well, you know what? I, with military. On the note of mm-hmm. martial law. So what I said to my wife when the COVID lockdown happened, I said, this is a, a three-punch combination. I said, the COVID shutdown is the jab. There's going to come something else that's going to be the straight right. And then the hook is going to knock us out. So we got so the, the COVID. Right is just, this is yeah, the straight sorry, right. Yeah, so the jab yes. is COVID. This is the straight right. And whatever's yes. coming next. And, and this, you want to hear my crazy prediction? 
shit. I'm scared to hear it, but let well, me hear it, brother. I'm trying to think what would be next. By the way, you don't have to plan it. It's just inevitable. What is War. going to be next? A political assassination. War. Oh. A mayor, a governor, prominent media personality, a president. Somebody big. And it just seems like all of this anger and hatred is going to bubble up. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to um, pay somebody. You don't need a conspiracy like a, you know, a Treadstone, a Jason Bourne type conspiracy. All you need to do is bring bricks to, you know, these bricks they dropped all around at these sites mysteriously that were left around. Yeah. Gasoline cans stashed. Mysterious. You were talking to me about all these mysterious Got white guys that were rolling up, knocking out windows, yep. leaving bricks, setting police cars on elevating fire. The, elevating the crisis more. Vanishing into, into a the real riot. Right. And, and then vanishing into the, the crowd. And they got them on video now, so they know who they are. Well, I, I Breaking really, on buildings. Black Lives Matter, but they're white. Like spraying on the buildings, though. Like, what? And I, and I really tend to believe these are probably the radical left. We know the radical left, the radical right, the disenfranchised illiberals, they have been saying... Mm-hmm since the 30s that they want to foment civil war in this country. Correct. So um, what I believe is we need to be prepared for the next thing is going to be, is going to be bad and an already horrible situation. So then that brings me back down to like, how do we respond? Cause I'm confused. You're confused. I reached out to huge civil rights leaders that I'm close to big names. And I said, well, you come on my show and they're like, Jason, I don't even know what to say. I think so many thoughtful people are like you, like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to wrap my mind around this. And yeah, then, I'm still, I still feel that way. And so what I would say is my, I always assume I'm the worst person I ever met. Right. I, I assume that, that everyone I meet is probably better than me. And, and so I don't assume most people are racist. I don't assume most people wish ill for other people. And so I think the way we should respond to all of this, and it's hard because every day you turn on the news and you're, 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 you get offended, like you want to do something. I do. You get angry. You want to respond. You want to lash out. Um, I think all of us are going through that right now. And I feel that way a lot of my friends. So, but I think what we need to do is then sublimate that and just say, how do I, in the midst of all of this, acknowledge every human being is made in the image of God? No one deserves to suffer violence. How do I correspond my actions to God's will? How do I work to make sure we have structures of justice that correspond as a Christian? I want everything to correspond to God's will. I want every, you know, what is justice? The best answer ever given, Wig, I love is from Plato's Republic where Socrates said, justice is minding your business. You know, (laughs) justice is kuleana. Justice is doing what is yours to do. Doing your responsibilities. Then what is social justice? That's all of us working together to do what is ours to do, not as individuals, but as a community. So that means as a community, we care for our our neighbors without homes. 
We care for our children from broken homes. We care for our children, make sure everyone has access to education, um, that we create uh, a vibrant economy that gives has upward mobility, that, that our courts are right. fair. Like, to me, that's what social justice is, minding our own right. business, that, by our own, I mean, our our whatever it is, Kapolei. So when, so when a man, so when a man, a black man is getting, is being killed in front of you, you have an obligation to say something. A hundred percent. I think there was a failure there. Um, mm -hmm. Not just from those police officers. And you know me, like, it would have escalated. Sure. I don't not see something you. bad happen and don't stop it. Yeah. Insert myself right. into it. I mean, but that, that was a scare. But you could hear you could hear people in the background and people that are videoing say, That's "Hey, true. get off!" He's he's he's. You can hear them saying something. But you're talking to the police. Yeah. They can whoop your. They can just beat you down right now. Yeah. What you know? what I mean, you going to well, jail. Well, but as you as a black man, I tell you, I saw America and the president, everyone united in there, how uh, upset they were by this. My seven-year-old. Well, I'm cried. waiting for the president to. My seven-year-old cried like he was watching the news. My seven-year-old cried, and then and then, and that was I should have not had him watch that. Then a couple nights later, he heard my wife and I talking, and then he goes, "Did that? Did those police get arrested?" And I said, yeah, "The guy got arrested," and my seven-year-old starts dancing around like this was so simple wow. that wow. my seven-year-old like he I never saw him do this before. He was dancing around like he won the lottery. He was doing this thing like yes. <laughs> yes, like wow, pumping man. his arm, like yes, that's how. Wow, and it was really bad that we weren't paying attention that wow. he saw it on the news. So here's my wow. seven-year-old was so emotionally impacted by it that a couple days later, he's jumping around like you know, yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, wow, I never he saw, saw some real justice. He saw justice. He was happy. It was my. It was on his mind for those days. And he, and he must have been skirting around, listening to our conversation. So I see that all of America was appalled. So I don't know what these left-wing activists wanted from us. I saw us united as a community. I saw the president move faster than the mayor and governor of, the mayor of Minneapolis and the, governor of, and the governor of Minnesota. So if anything, to me, this I was also, a symbol of how united we you. were. I also, I can agree with you there uh, with about the president. I do believe, but I wish he would have had more sympathy in the early onset about the death of the of the man. He came out later like he always does. This is my problem with him. He needs to get like he needs people to tell him later. Like he'll say something very, and then later on when he gets to talk to some people. And like, oh, 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 yeah, I really feel bad about for the family of George. Like, it's like, dude, <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, where are you thinking at? Where's your thinking right now? You only want to, oh, the looting is crazy. Like, to me, I can see the president's all about money. If you, if you, if you're, if you're messing up the money, oh, he's upset. Like, that's the first thing on his mind. Don't mess with my money first of all, and then don't mess with our money. It's like that's all he's focused on. He, he, his his humanity part is like missing. You know what I mean? That's why. I, that's how I feel about a president. I mean, he just you know he just. I see him as this adult, overwhelmed politician. I met Bush W when I worked for the RNC. I met him in person, and they all have this sort of like they're drinking from a fire hose. Um, 
<laughs> look in their face. They got a lot. You remember when they got a lot that look on. Bush had in his face when he was reading to those kids after he heard about 9-11? <laughs> yeah, he was kind of, yeah, he looked like a, yeah, during the headlight type deal. And he was, yeah, and I, I, I think that sometimes these people, they're these politicians, they don't, and they don't have advisors. Like, I don't know. But wait a minute, he fired everybody. His advisors is, is, is a yes man. His son-in-law is a yes is a yes man. That's what I call him. Because you don't hire your advisor can't be a yes man. Yeah, if I an could, advisor is a guy that's kicking your butt and yeah. telling you, "Hey, you got to do this." Hey, hey, that's a that's a real advisor, not your son-in-law, the guy that's a yes man because he can't say nothing to you because you're my my father-in-law. How, you know what I'm saying? Like how? This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah but he doesn't I, have any advisors. But he doesn't I, listen to any of them. He yeah. fires them all. <laughs> Fire them all. Yeah, well, I, I look, all. I wish that he would have handled it better, but I will say that he was the first on the scene to be there for the the family. Before the governor, before uh, the mayor. And oh, he, uh, he said a lot of uh, slop. Uh, yeah. Oh. No, he said, look, we're going to take care of this federally if they don't get it done. Now again, well, he said he's going to take care of the the riot federally. No, 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 no. He was, he was, he was. Uh, he he stepped up and said that they're going to investigate, and they want to know. Now again, this is where I I felt for the prosecutor. He said we have to do things in a way to make sure that it sticks, and I think there's truth to that. I think it was within four days, right, that he was charged. Yeah, and no, they did it quick. And so I think again, I feel for them. Because they're thinking about not just satisfying the crowd today, but they want to make sure justice is served. And again, what if what if there was video we didn't see? Um, look, there's there's actually no defense for this what he did, but uh, so that might not be the case in this. But I I know that the process- I thought it was I thought it was very quick. I thought it was a I thought it was quick for them to make a decision like that that quick. But what I do know is that the 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 um the police chief and the um, the two the two major guys in, out there fired them fired him immediately. They fired all four of them immediately. That was like immediate. Yes, fired. So that happened. And first. there's processes and procedures and unions and union rules. So that's not easy. Right. That wasn't easy. But when you have a black police chief and a black attorney general, you know. I think it happened much faster than normal, you know, because they just saw blatant murder, and, no. and they cared. And I believe they cared about it because it was it was a black man that got murdered on national television, or not now, sorry, not national television, media, national media television. And you know, I mean, a blind man, your son saw it. He said it. Yeah, and he saw it immediately. You know what I'm saying? But what I'm trying to say is that black people have been seeing this for, man, decades, bro. Decades, man. Well, decades, and, man. And this is, we've almost been two hours. And I think that, that what upsets me is going back to when that big fight that erupted with me and some of our friends in college when I was talking about how the social welfare state dismantled the black middle class, broke apart mm-hmm. the black family, and then it offended our friend. And it got heated. Yeah. But I think we need yeah. to talk about the role, uh, not today, but I think we as a country need to start asking ourselves, what's the solution? Antifa and BLM think socialism is the solution. I think government interference in the black community 
has been the problem. And I think that the powerful neoliberal elites um, using the black community as a shield to advance an agenda that enriches them is the problem. And whether or not it's true or not, that's what conservatives say, that's what we say, um, it's not allowed to even be discussed. Black leaders that talk like this, like Candace Owens, are just eviscerated and destroyed. And um, if, if I were to say it on a national stage, you'd have to watch as your friend is being doxxed and destroyed as a racist. Um, because I actually I would, come near, I would come near Rusty. But no, no, but it's bigger than that. Okay. When you, when you, when you, okay, black people in America were slaves, okay, first of all. So when they were finally free, yay, we're free. But you can't go here, here, here. You can't get a loan, can't get a job. Hmm. And then you're like, okay, we're free, but we, but we're really not free because everyone is still treating us like we're slaves. So we have to do harder, harder. We have to do the, the jobs that nobody else wants to do. We have to take the scraps from the table that the white man is giving. And then that, and then what happens is it's like people are now starving. So they either turn the drugs or crime to, su to support their family. And then they get arrested, incarcerated. And this is how that happened and kept going. And you're saying, yeah, we, if we get rid of the social, uh, you know, like welfare, but if we didn't have that, them guys would have been, Okay, so the, the fathers go to jail because that was that was the whole agenda is to arrest as many black men as you can, get them out of the family because that's the doctrine, right? Uh, Jim Crow doctrine, same slavery mentality. It's just now it's, you're not a slave, but we're going to still follow the doctrine and we're going to kill as many of you as we can. Then, when, so the, the, the white, the woman is there to just like to take care of the family, children by herself. Right. So then she needs some support. So then the government came in and, and provided the support. Okay. In order for them to eat, just survive. You know, I mean, it's not actually being on the level, the same level as white people. No, you're just surviving. You're barely making it. You're in the hood, hood. And you know what I'm talking about the hood, hood, south side of Chicago, like the real. Yeah. And then you have general, white, but then you have, so this is where then it you have and this is correct, where, again, this is correct. where it's complex. No, and I think yeah, that we as a generation. country need to really talk about that. And again, well, think I about think it. So the, the answer is, what's the answer? I got it. The answer is, is first we have to come together as one. Okay. We have to believe, so black people have to believe that white people actually care about it. Because for centuries we did, we, we, we feel that you haven't. Okay, that's what I'm going. We feel that you haven't cared about us for centuries. So finally, now this happened. You know, remember Rodney King? He got his he got his butt whooped like in front of everybody. I forgot how many minutes he got whooped. No, it's horrible. America didn't. America didn't care about that. No, look, and we don't even. Guys, guys, really. And one thing people have to understand, I have to remind my. I have two friends. One friend who's um, Walter Hoy is one of my friends. His uncle was killed by the Klan, and then another one of my friends. She's very prominent. Her grandfather was killed by the Klan. And then her father was killed violently. Um, and, and and so she's my friend. Her grandfather was literally executed by the my Klan. God. So for us, like my as God. white people, you know, that seems like, oh, it's forever ago. That that direct, insane sort of violence. It wasn't that. It was, it was 
there are people alive who lost family members to that type of violence. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, 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 I Luther King got murdered in what, 60, 64, 69, 64 around there. Like that's only, that's not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, there no. Was, you know, look, I'm friends, saying that no King, people. I'm friends with <laughs> the Shabazz family and the King family. And those are two families that, you know, uh, the Shabazz family lost their grandfather, uh, Malcolm X, his children lost their grandfather to the Klan. Um, you know, uh, my friend Alvita King, you know, her family, her uncle was, was, was assassinated. So it's not that, and Alvita's not that old. You know, my friend Walter Hoy is not that old. His uncle was set on fire. So This happened in their lifetime. Yeah, yeah, in their lifetime, in my father's lifetime. My father, well, we- where my dad grew up, but this is what I want to say. Like, I want to make this clear to my black friends. Like, I love our country. I've been all over the world. And we're the least racist country in the world. We are the, re- li- the, the least racist country in the history of the world. But we, we think of ourselves as the most racist because we obsess. I don't this. believe that. I don't know if I believe that. And I believe that my black friends don't believe that either. Uh, I, I get, I you, I get most... you don't believe it. And I get that your black yeah, friends we... don't believe it. But I want to know where no. in the world is there less racism? Where? Canada. It's always Canada. Canada. You know what I heard? Canada is really racist towards, towards um, Indian people, people from India. They're very racist towards them. Man, we're, we're, cool we're obsessed like, with racism because we don't want to be that. We want to love each other. It's very awkward. You know, I, um, my wife once, I said to her, I go, I hate these white people who are constantly trying to prove they're not racist. I go, that's the most racist thing in the world. And I said, I hate right. that. I, I, I hate saying that I have diverse friends because I hate that white people value diverse friends. I think that's racist. You know, like, I, I know there must be white people going around trying to get a black friend to prove they're not racist. Like, just live course, your life. If you live in a... That's, that's, the, that's, the, def- that's the definition. If you, but, <laughs> no, but what if you live in a town of all white people in rural Idaho? That's hard. That's, and that's pretty tough. I think if you got a black friend and you live in a town of all white people, you're racist. You had to go find that friend. You had to go looking for that friend. You might not even like that person. <laughs> you're just pretending to like them. Yeah, you're just trying oh, to, you're right. pretending to like them <laughs> so that you're not racist. I, so, so you know what my wife said to me, though? You know, you'll, you'll love this, week. I mean, my wife's Chinese, but she's from a Jewish neighborhood <laughs> in New York. She said to me, well, I think, I, I said, I said, they think they're racist because they don't have black friends. She goes, I wonder yep. sometimes, am I racist because I don't have black friends? I'm like, what? She got up. What is well, no, no, she said, I didn't have any black friends till I knew you. That's what she said. And oh, okay, okay. all my black friends were through oh, you. Right. I said, babe. Right. How would you have had black friends? Right. If you didn't, she went well, to a Jewish prep school, you know, and then she went to this, the Bronxville High School. There could have been some Sammy Davis Juniors over there. You know? <laughs> right. I, I said, so it doesn't, <laughs> and she's Chinese and she's addled with the thoughts, maybe I'm racist. Wow. So this wow. is what I, I tell people. Like, my family wig is crazy. My family is crazy in every way. I dropped the N-word when I was like nine. My dad, who had all kinds of problems, my dad took me aside when I'm nine years old and, and walked me through how we never use that word. And this was like 1982. And he said, you know, my Uncle Johnny, I, he, my Uncle Johnny, my great uncle, his uncle, he owned the Tivoli, a very famous restaurant in, the, in the Chicago Heights. He was Italian. He, he said, when I was nine, around your age, I said this word. 
And my uncle and Uncle Johnny sat me down and said that that a gentleman never uses this word. A gentleman is never bigoted and ne never prejudiced. And mm. um, what's amazing about this is I talked to uh, Tom Dreesen, the famous comic who warmed up crowds for Frank Sinatra, and he was the partner with Tim and Tom. Uh, Tim was from uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. They were both from my neighborhood. Mm. They were the first interracial comedy team. And Tom told me that my uncle Johnny had him and Tim do a show at his, and when there there were never interracial comedy shows, you there were black comedy clubs, white comedy clubs in the '60s. He said, "But my uncle in the '60s let Tim and Tom come and do their show in this Italian in this Italian restaurant." And but what I'm trying to say is, in my family, as goofy as my family was, this was never tolerated. And I think in most white families, there is this concerted effort to be thoughtful and respectful. And that doesn't take away from the structures and the history, which I'm not denying. Um, but I just wish that most people wouldn't assume that most people are racist, most white people, most black people, most cops. I assume most people okay. are better than me. I think that's, that's just a good thing for good everyone point. to assume. I, I believe that, 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 that's a good point. And I think that should be addressed and more and, and, and talked about more, you know what I mean? Because that is giving white America um, some uh, something that's that negativity towards them and where they have they feel like they have to do this. Like it's like, look, look, do it because you want to. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to. Do it because you care. You know what I'm saying? Like I believe that, man. I believe that they've been white America's been wrong. A lot of white Americans have been wrong that way. You know. I have a lot of white friends, and I let them know how much I appreciate them. I do. And, and is what I've really, been doing. And, Wig, is there really a white or black? Mm -hmm. I think we're approaching a point where, I mean, in my family, I have everything, right? Okay, right. I have yeah. literally everything. Yeah. Uh, maybe, and um, it's. Uh, I think many families are becoming that way. And I think that's the sad thing, that, that families are feeling tension and stress. Where in one, in one family you have Brother, white and black and and everything. Brother, you're right. No, you're right. America is is different that way because we are the melting pot of the world. We really are. Okay, we are. And so here's the answer. Okay, here's the answer. In order to to have some real change, and I said in the beginning, white America has to get involved. I'm telling you, this is how it works. You know, what I, what, what's, what's blowing my mind in the most positive and the most amazing way about these riots is the amount of white people that are in them. And, you know what I'm saying? And then I, and then I look back at the, the riots of, of, or the marches back with Martin Luther King, and I see a lot of white people in those marches. I'm serious. And that blew my mind because I didn't think that, but I started really looking at the crowds because I was like, there's a lot of white people in these crowds. I'm like, wait a minute. There's a lot of white people in these crowds too. You know what I mean? Then I started realizing like, and I've always known this, don't get me wrong, but I've always known that like there are whites that care and they want to be a part of this and they think it's injustice and they want to make a change. And, and that's the way it happens. Now, if, if I'm, say if I'm a white, if I'm a white man and I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. What's going on TV, man, it's terrible. I'm going to go on Facebook. You know what? I, I don't like what happened. It was bad. And, you know, I wish these guys need to be 
and then that's it. Then that's it. Then I'm back in my life. That's not enough. That one post on Facebook is not enough. That's not going to change a damn thing. What really is going to make the change is when white, when these white people that care, they go out and they, they yeah, they go write the little post, and then they're going to start pinpointing their friends, speaking like your dad, like you were, and your dad sat you down, hey son, you know that needs to happen more. There has to be like some courage that steps up now. That like courage, man, to 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 champion me right now. I need I need you to champion me right now. I got a great one though. You're great for me. Like champion, step up. Tell your friend this racist. Hey man, I don't appreciate that. I don't accept it. It's not good for our country. It's not good for me. And I wish you would stop doing that. And then it, that might that might make a change. And then if you're going to continue, then maybe we aren't friends no more. Like straight up. Well, wait, like, I got to say, think, I have not in my life come across anyone uh, that was a racist, that, 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 that was a friend, you know, that was someone who would say really. Or just say racist things. No. No, I think there's the opposite problem in my family with friends where mm. they are racist in a way, that, but they don't know it, where they will have the tyranny of low, ex, the racism of low expectations or the racism of, um, you know, mm. voicing like pious things that may be untrue, but just and even destructive. But they'll say those things because to say the opposite is to be perceived as racist. Does that make sense? That does. I no, wish I think white you, people. I think you're special. I think you're special. There's not a lot. I'm telling you, I have a lot of other white friends, and they're like, they're really, they have racist family members, and they have like people that they are addressing now. Because I've been on this, man. I'm telling you, if you start to step out of your Start stepping out and feeling these people out. And, like, you're going to find, start asking questions. You're going to find out that there's a lot more racism than you have been witness to. Man, okay? um, this you're is, different. I love my family. A, I grew up in the best neighborhood. This neighborhood I grew up in, you're Country Club man. Hills, it was, you know, um, they did Dateline NBC or one of those did a did a special on, on Country Club Hills in, 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 like, 1989, 90. I think I just was in the Army, but it was, like, a lot of my classmates were in it my friends that I grew up with and it was just about like a model of like racial harmony that they were, I mean, in the eighties, interracial dating was just normal, right? It was just normal. Everyone was wow. friends. And, and then even my own family, I'm blessed as goofy as that. My dad is, this guy sat me down when I was like 15 and he asked me if I was racist. <laughs> and I said, why, why would you think I'm racist? He goes, well, when you were young, you had a real crush on Diana Ross. <laughs> Uh huh. How's that make you racist? He goes, but I noticed you've only been dating white girls. I'm like, Dad, what? What? I don't have a black girlfriend. You think I'm my dad? He's like, Are you racist, son? Why aren't you dating? But I mean, and uh, wow, yeah, I'm telling you, that's my dad, like hippie, hippie, <laughs> who, who you know, who's not a hippie anymore by the grace of God. Although he starred in a a, a hot movie classic called Toke Easy recently, it came out like ten years ago. But uh, that's my pop, and uh, and then I've just been lucky to always. That's the sad thing for me about this is to see how it's impacting the friends I grew up with, 
and um, how upset this whole thing is making them. That's what's making me the most upset. And like I said yesterday, I had a friend who posted on on Facebook that he's suicidal. And the only reason he hasn't killed himself is because of his kids. Wow. Black guy. And he didn't express why, but I kind of empathized that I feel all of this is placing divisions between me and my black friends. And I bet you he's feeling like this, all of this is placing a barrier between him and his white friends. And mm. do you know the first time it I just... Totally, it totally is. It totally is for me. I'll tell you that. It is. And I had to reach out to him. Like, just, you know, let him know. Like you reach out to me. Um, exactly. 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 But I'll reach out to you anyway. But this was, this was different. You know, I felt I needed to talk to you. You know, I wanted to get your opinion on this because you put it in a different perspective, you know, that I can, that I can relate to and understand. Like, because everything we're hearing is just, it's either this way or that way, either racist or not. You know, it's like you're either, I mean, it, it's crazy right now. I'm in LA, man. You know, LA is crazy, man. I mean, so, you know, you know, I always think about my daughter, man. Like, you met her, like, is it safe for me to go out with my daughter? Will somebody try to attack my daughter? And it'll be okay. But a policeman try to attack me and my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, that's the part that scares me the most. The guy that's supposed to protect me could actually kill me. Because he just killed a guy that looked just like me the other day and the day before that. You know, and then there's a hundred deaths in, that they've killed black men, you know, police officers, a hundred in one year. You know, and that's the norm. If you look at the Look at it. Go back and see. I don't know the statistics on how many white So, but I've been killed. looking at these numbers, and that's the problem, right? Just like with COVID, I was one of these COVID deniers. Not that I don't believe that it's there, but I think the reaction was totally out of proportion to the reality. So, those of us who believe that, we go to our own self-selective news. We look at studies yeah. that confirm what we want to believe. And people who want us to wear masks sure. and socially distance and close their businesses are looking you at other reports. It. And so, you we're all... And, and I think that I want to, which I'm not an expert on these numbers. I want to look, I'm going to, I, this is what I commit to you. I want to look at these numbers. And I think we need to honestly look at these numbers and see if there is a problem. And then we, this is what I want white people to have the courage to do. Everybody has to have the courage to do this. We need to love each other more than we worry about what people think about us. So if there Correct. is a problem Absolutely. with black Absolutely. men being killed by police, I don't necessarily believe it's racism. I think it could become structures of the law um, and how, how did these certain laws impact certain communities and how policing is, is done in certain communities. And these officers don't have to be racist, but you have more officers enforcing more laws and these circumstances will lead to more deaths. So if I really want to see less men and women, less people and less police officers dying from violence, I want to know what are the real causes. But I feel like if I were to come out and say that on CNN, on Twitter, hell would break loose. You know, maybe, you know, but, but I think we need to be open. To, and I don't. Maybe I'm naive. I do not believe there is a problem with racist police. I just don't. I think there's a problem. And I think it has to do more with the law, certain laws and where these laws are being enforced. Um, bad training, the militarization of the police, um, and then maybe somewhere in their mix, prejudice enters in. But I don't think that's the primary cause of these deaths. 
Uh, for example, and we've been talking on two, over two hours, so I want to wrap it up. But, I, you know, this this guy got – it was passing a $20 bill, illegal 20 Is right. that is that really something you should be sending police out for? Uh, right. Yeah. But then, you know, but then the kill, a man died over a false, like it wasn't even true. See, we don't a even know. Was, was it an illegal? But uh, my point even being, why did they show how did up? It, for how that? did it escalate? How oh. did it escalate from that to now this guy's dead? A, a daughter, because I look at that. When I see his daughter, I'm like, you know what? That could have been me. No, 100%. You know I mean? and a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends feel the same way. So it's like, it's, it's a scary world that your friend lives in, bro. You hear me? It's scary out there, bro. It's, it's, scary. it's more scary than walking down the south side of Chicago as a black man. You know? Well, what is? What is more scary? Just walking to the, going to the, going to 7-Eleven. Oh, Woodland you mean because you live in an affluent <laughs> white neighborhood? Yeah. All right, I want to end oh, on yeah. that because this is something I hear from a lot of my black friends that they... It's not funny, but I'm thinking of some things that they've said, so forgive me, the jokes they've made about what it's like. I was just thinking of something Paul Mooney said, uh, the, the comedian. He said, uh, you know, I live in a white neighborhood, and they, they can't go to sleep till I come home. <laughs> you know, he's like the whole neighborhood. Where is he? Where no, is it's he? true. And, uh, it feels so, that way. So it feels can, – can we? this is something I want to ask you. Is it possible that you feel that way but it's not true? Is that possible? Of course it's possible. But when the media and when I when I see this all the time around me and the, the history, you know, it it makes it real to me. And to know people that have, have felt the same way and are experiencing the same things that I'm experiencing. And then have white friends that tell me it's not really like that. Because in their reality it's not. But in my reality it is. You know what I mean? That's the part that gets that that that, that, that that's scary for us black Americans and you know us now. You know me, like shit. I mean, I will fight to the death with you, for, with you, for you. You know what I mean? Against an enemy or a foe. Like it doesn't. That's not what I'm. I'm not scared of dying or. I'm scared of what's going to happen to my family. Like when I'm not there. You know what I'm saying? Like would this cop shove my daughter? I have a 25 year old. Would my daughter? Would would that cop? Would that white cop shove? He could have. That could have been my daughter. He just threw on the ground like that. Like she was nothing. Well, so and that's, right the, and that's the problem to me. The, and look, the, and, and the, the anybody, problem, the white, black, I think, think they treat it. people the like bigger, this. But the, but the bigger problem, though, is the responses. If you read the responses by some really racist white people, talking about she deserved that. Oh, you know, she shouldn't do this. She did this. Really? Wow. You feel me? It's like, it's okay to do that to black people. And that's where we feel like there is a total disconnect with the blacks and the whites in America. You yeah. know what I mean? That, that's where the disconnect is. It's because there's there's a lack of, of empathy. That's that what we, we need feel. to have, right? That's what we need to have is empathy. That, that like Agreed. you said, that whether or not, I don't know. Like, I just think Woodland Hills is a bunch of nice people. I don't think there's people looking around racist. You know, there is. There is. And, you know, and I'm not going to say Wood. I, I didn't mean to say Woodland Hills. I just, I, they, I use Woodland but Hills. But I do now. think that you, you can, look, being a white guy in Hawaii. Way. Woodland Hills is not that way at all. Or, you know, being yeah. white or black in Hawaii. People notice you. Right. You're different. Yeah. I, I joked that in Hawaii, being white and black, you're the same. Like I would go to parties, yeah, and then you'd you'd see yeah. a black guy. To me, it'd be like seeing a just one of me. Like Another, yo, see, like seeing an seeing an American. It's like, yeah, you're like yo, bro, yo, hey, like you're yo, another we're the same, hey, right? Up, no, man? right. To explain hey. that to people. So yeah. when you're a black guy and a white girl at a party in Hawaii, you see each other. 
You're like, brother. Yeah, like, you're going to go and be like, yeah, you got to say something. How you doing? What's up? Yeah, what's up? Because like, you know, you you know? you're the other together. Correct. Correct. You're the other together. Correct. That doesn't mean my neighbors, my wife, I think everyone loves me. She goes, you think everyone loves you at the bank, at the grocery store? She's like, I talk to them. We laugh about you. They're like, yeah, you know. You stick out like a sore thumb. It's not that you're, it's your personality wow. or your smile, okay? My wife's oh, like, wow. she's like, honey, it's not okay. your personality or your smile. You stick out. It, you know, so I can uh, see, good. like, if you're you're black and you live in a neighborhood like that, it's the same. You know, it is. But, you know, I've learned that it is. It's all about a perception, right? And so what I do wherever I move, and I don't, and it's not because I'm black. I think it's just who I am. But I go and I, I immediately meet all my neighbors around me. I immediately meet them. So I know them all by by first name. I know their I know everything. I've been invited into their houses. I invited them to my parties. They have my phone number, I have theirs. We look out for each other. Because that's that's what I think. It's like in the neighborhood you wanna look out for your other for your neighbors. Make sure that you know, we kinda have our own little clique, you know, amongst the houses that are immediately around me. You know, and then we take walks and I start meeting more of my neighbors. So I let them know that, look, I'm here and I'm cool, you know, and, and I'm not, and my whole, my whole mentality is not that I want everybody to re- know that a black man's in the neighborhood. No, I'm just being me, you know, going down the street, you know, me making sure that meeting my neighbors and I haven't re- came across any, any racist or things that I felt uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I walked my daughter up the street. We were selling, uh, we're selling Girl Scout cookies. You know what I mean? People buying them up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, so. I haven't, that hasn't been my experience in LA. That has not been my experience since I moved to LA two years ago. Okay. And I think it's also a mentality. I didn't, I didn't take that mentality when I came from Hawaii is different. You know, I was accepted. Everybody's, so I didn't have that mentality coming here. The great thing about Hawaii wig is that we still, like we tell racist jokes to each other. We, we are at this city, all of our different ethnicities, you know, yeah, we, we joke right. with that's, each other. We make fun of each other. That's one thing like, where you can do that. Yeah, if people that, from that. the mainland were to eavesdrop, they, in fact, I was at a wedding in Hawaii and there was this girl who was a, like, a, I don't know what you call it, like, a, she was a teacher from the mainland here on some, like, exchange program. I forget what it's called, like, work core or something like that. And she was okay. sitting at our table and you could see she was about to cry because oh. of, she was so offended at how we were all oh. making fun of each other. Oh. You, you, know, does, does, you know what I'm saying? Like, she was listening to all of her yeah. ethnic jokes. Because we it's were... totally not. It's totally accepted there. Yeah, totally. That it's, just, it's, just, it's totally accepted. Because it's such a... Hawaii is a bigger... Hawaii is a, a bigger melting pot. Is a, of, well, it's, it's, a, it's a depiction of the United States. Hawaii is the melting pot of the United States. Kind of. I mean, because... Well, seventy well, percent of marriages, seventy percent of marriages are interracial. Think about that. Seventy. Okay, you go. So in, that's crazy. That's the most diverse place on earth. Yeah, I mean, seventy oh, wow. percent is interracial. I mean, plus it's it's the highest percentage of Asian. Yeah. You know, there, blacks and whites are considered more uh, accepted, I think, and more because we are because it's military. Yeah, you know. But you there's no big the majority. Military. There's no majority population, right? Correct. So we're a state Correct. where everyone's a minority. There's no majority. Correct. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. If I had to think of the majority over there, which which would that be? Japanese? Maybe Japanese or Howley if you really added it up. Uh, 
I think it would be Japanese, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely the most influential. So they dominate Hawaii politics. They dominate Hawaii culture. Sure. The Okinawan sure, sure. and Japanese, the descendants of the, the immigrants from Okinawa and Japan. But this is mm-hmm. such a treasure. To, I, this is where I thank God that I was raised where I was raised, that I moved mm-hmm. here at 17. And mm-hmm. um, I just, I hate that, that our country's suffering like this and that there's so much divide mm-hmm. and division. And I think, it, I mm-hmm. pray that there's a pendulum, that this is like, we are so, so divided in a way that's so perplexing to me. I just don't understand it because it's not anything I've ever experienced. I, I, all this mm-hmm. hatred and division. And, and although yeah. race has been a part of my life from the very beginning. And I remember when I first discovered that the being black was different than being white. And it made me very sad. I was in the fourth grade. And I was like, actually accused of racism because I shot a kid with a bottle cap. I made a bottle cap shooter. You know what that is? Yeah. I ripped a post off of a <laughs> fence and I sawed it and then I nailed a, a clothespin to it. And then you pull it back and then you shoot the, you put a bottle cap. Yeah, with a rubber band. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And I was rolling in the neighborhood shooting everybody and this kid's dad came and was yelling at my grandmother accusing me of racism. And I was listening to the wow. argument. I was in fourth grade and I was trying to, to understand what they were talking about. And it was where I was getting my first little glimpse of race. And which wow. is, there's no such thing as race. So I hate it. Right. There's just human being, there's human oh, beings. Wow. So, wow. um, and I remember just being sad. And then after that day, I was never not aware again that certain friends of mine were different. My relationship with certain friends was different than others. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. Of course. When did you, fig- when, when when, you- yeah, when, I, is, when did okay. you figure that yeah. out that there was something different? Between you, um, that there was a, a artificial wall, a historical wall, yeah. a cultural wall that you didn't build. You and the other kids in the neighborhood didn't build, but all of a sudden you were behind it. I'm, I think I was in the. Uh, let's see. I was on a military base at um, Edward Air Force Base in California. I think I was about. Was that? In, so I was in eighth grade. In eighth or eighth grade or seventh, maybe eighth grade. And I had like a, you know, the girl that I always, I liked. And we were like, we became like girlfriend and boyfriend. But it was weird because, you know, it's like, you don't really have a girlfriend. I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, it was weird. We weren't like dating or anything in eighth grade, you know. No, you'd pat, I so like, kinda, do you like me? Check yeah, yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, right. I might hold her hand. Yes, no, maybe. Check, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Skate like, at the roller rink together. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, and it would have to be a white a white girl, um, and uh, and like a few days later, she was like, "We can't be boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh. You can't be my." And I was like, "Okay." I was like, "Wow, why?" She's like, "My dad, my dad does not, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like black people." What he said, what she told me. This was in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm sorry, this was in Charleston, South Carolina. Sorry. Oh, okay. This wasn't in California. This was in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm sorry, that I'm because I'm, I'm starting to come back to me. But I remember the question, and I was like, "Wow!" And I and I and I know her, so I like as we went through intermediate and then went to high school, I still know her, and, and I saw I actually saw her on Facebook, and we're friends on Facebook. You know what I mean? That's what I love about Facebook, right? Okay, it's craziness. Yeah. It's craziness, right? And, and I think about like, wow, we and the crazy dude. The craziest thing about all that is she married a black man. How crazy is how awesome that? is that? That's crazy. Uh, 
I mean, I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God. Then I thought about like in South Carolina, it, it's one, it was one of the most racist states, I think a lot of people would say, but, but I, I heard that it was the most friendliest, like the most friendliest place. And I was like, when did this happen? And then, I mean, you know, I read it, it was like the most friendliest places and they it wanted the most friendliest place on the planet two years in a row. My, my aunt's there, so she's like, you know, we're the most friendly. It's like, really? And I was like, and, you know, and this was, so, you know, as time went on, I think a lot of racism, but then what happened was is that the children, which I was one of them, had, a, you know, decided that I'm not going to listen and be like my mom and dad. I'm going to do my own thing and really, you know what I mean, and, 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 and explore. And see what really is out there instead of what my dad says. And then this is what happened. So there's a lot. And when I started looking through my friends from South Carolina, I went to Stahl High School, and I was like, "There's a lot of there's a lot of um, interracial um, marriages." I was tripping out. Well, and see, I that's like, oh my. Well, think about God, that wig. Like, think, but how cool is that that you that did not so know incredible. there was a division between you? And this is maybe what's sad for this generation. Uh, you did not know there was a real, and it was seventh grade when I really realized how big the wall was. We watched a film strip on the civil rights movement. We saw kids being blasted with fire hoses. It was startling to me, shocking. But you, you didn't realize it was to the eighth grade before, and then ever since then now, your, your friend who's white's your white friend. And that sucked. Yeah. Before that, that was just your friend. No, yeah, that does suck. But that then after suck. eighth grade, after that happens, yeah. Forever after that, that's my black friend, that's my white friend, that's my Mexican friend. But when you're a kid, that's my friend who can't play baseball, he sucks. That's my friend whose dad left him. That's my friend. Yeah. Everything is that's my friend who, right. whatever. It had right. nothing to do with the simplicity. It was actually more thoughtful, right? You know? Yeah. Oh, that's my friend who's really good at basketball. That's my friend who no, loves so right. Star Wars. That's my Dude. friend who, right? And, yeah. And, yeah. and that's, everything, man, it, it does suck. And my daughter is finding out herself, like recently. She's but probably earlier than, in a, how old is she? Way earlier. She, she's only eight. See that? So, so why are we going yeah. backwards? It is bizarre. You know, it's, you know, oh man, <laughs> good question. And that, that sucks because I didn't want her to know that. You know, I mean, it's like, just be a friend. And she didn't know until, you know, one of her friends was like, oh, you can't, you can't be, you can't be like uh, that princess on, uh, you know, on, um, on Frozen. Oh, you, you told me about that. And she says, why? She says, because you're black. There's only one black princess in, in Disney, and that's the only one you can be. But I can be, you know what I mean? Her friend's like, I can be this. And so my wife talked to their, her mom, and we love their, we love them. We love, mom and dad yeah, are great. You told we play me about yeah. And it was, it blew my mind, man. Like, wow, you know, like, these are seven-year-olds because they were eight. She's eight now. So this, I think she was like seven, you know, when that happened to her. And it was like, oh, shit. You know, my, my daughter's understanding this now. And then she asked us, so what, what is black? Like, what is it? What does that mean? Oh, wow. Why are we? And she asked, why are we black? First of all. So it was more of a, why I don't want to be black. Why are we black? Because, you know, because her, her, her school right now is a Catholic school. And it's mostly, you know, she's like a, she's a minority in her school. You know what I'm saying? It's like in her class, it's probably like three of them, three black girls. I don't think there's any boys in her, in her class. 
and there's two two classes and there's like 20 or 30 kids so out of 60 kids there's only three black girls in a four other than others i can count but you know i can count that because that's i'm a black man i know what i i see the parents i know who they are you know so um the the wild thing is is out of those four black families one of them were kind of cool we're, we're tight Oh my my um my my earpiece uh, died. That's okay. But the other, I'm I'm closer to I have I have my I'm closer to my white friends. I have really really close other parents that I met that are very super close, you know, you know, and I I, I cherish them. And it's funny, you know, it's like because to me, I'm from I don't have to just I don't have to just be with my black friends. And that's it. I'm just I just got to be that guy. No, I got friends all over. Like I don't you know I mean I've always been that way. But it's funny that I know how many black kids there are in the class, you know? Yeah, but but what's, well, I hope most of those kids don't know that number. And what's interesting with everyone listening to this podcast, there was a moment when all this entered their life as a child. And that's something I think we should all remember. That, and that's what's, what, what ticks me off with this. Now BLM is saying, I don't know if you heard about this, they want white people to, when they see a black person, kneel down and apologize. Bro, I love what? you, Wig. I ain't never kneeling down and apologizing for something I didn't do. Man, are you kidding me? No, I'm right not now? kidding you. No, I'm not kidding you. Who said that? Uh, this BLM and some mayor came out and did it today. My wife Wait, was, black, my Chinese black wife. Matter? Yeah. So, I mean, they may, I don't know how that organization works, but my wife called me into the living room today my chinese wife and said this is too much and by the way to me that's racist white people who hey to my black listeners if a white person kneels to you and apologizes for something they did not do they're a racist they think that guilt collective guilt can be inherited and transmitted by race and it cannot first of all there's no such thing as race is is Paul Mooney says everyone in America probably has some black in them, and every black person has some white in them, and yeah, and you know my kids are mixed, and I'm I'm gonna I do a lot I do enough on my own I can apologize to people for I don't need to apologize. Dude, I'm just I'm I, I, this the one time where I'm I got a question. All right, Google it, man. Google it. My wife <laughs> saw it on Fox <laughs> News, so it might not be true. You might not want to believe it because it was on Fox News, but my wife was oh, furious. I should call her in here. She was furious. She said, babe, they oh, want us God. to kneel. And I said, you know what? Any white person, this is what I said to her, that kneels to some black person and apologizes for something they didn't do is a racist. And they don't, have the, they don't have the courage to apologize for what they've really done. Do you follow me there? Okay, yeah, yeah, because if they're going to do it. Like if you must have done something you feel guilty about, so why don't you just guilt. apologize with, for what you did? Yeah, right. You know, hey, wait, yeah. I've used the N-word before in, in anger. I was in uh-huh. seventh grade. I'll apologize for that. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to fight this guy, and I tried everything to get him to fight me. Oh, and I, he was being really nice. And I'd say something, and he kept trying to not fight me. And then and you I, told me the story. You told me this story. Yeah, I dropped the N-word. Guess what happened? They got you. <laughs> they beat, beat me <laughs> unconscious. I got what oh, I was yeah. looking for. So, oh my so I can apologize for that. I can apologize for things I've done. I, I don't need to apologize for things I didn't do. Oh my, God, dude. oh my God. This is where, this is where it becomes like, 
ridiculous. You know what I mean? This is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You know, that's not going to help AD. Like, come on, man. That's ridiculous. I, I well, <laughs> dude, wow. And man, I think wow. this is where it's easy. By the way, it's easy for me to kneel and say to someone, I'm sorry. What's, no, but why? But what, I would, would never do it. But what, no. what's hard is to order your life, man. I love the struggle of being a good human being, man. I love it because it's not easy for me to be a good human being. And then so it's, you're, it's, you know, you're a Christian, you know. That's, but it's not easy, right? It's not easy to know no. uh, how to be kind sometimes, how to be just. Let's say you have a relative who's got a drug addiction and you try to help him three times. And yeah. do, if, do I try to help him again? Or is it going to hurt them more? Should I do that? You know, all these things, or if I do this just to make me feel better, but am I hurting them? Uh, you know, how am I in Hawaii? You know, I've got friends. I don't know how, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but, you know, in Hawaii, you might have friends, like I have friends, you know don't like white people, right? Like they don't. They'll, Absolutely. They'll say Absolutely. it. And I yeah. still like them. And I'll say, you know what? I understand where they're coming from. I can have empathy for them, and I know why they hold on to this sort of grudge. Um, how, you know, all these sorts of things that go into trying to be a kind, thoughtful, loving, just person as a fallen human being is a great adventure. Justice is a great adventure. Doing your kuleana is a great adventure. The virtue signaling, the posturing is lazy. It's, it's childish and it's lazy. And that's my fear. That it's no, easy to take your skateboard, smash the window, steal a surfboard, and think you're 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 all of a sudden you're Mar- Mar- uh, Malcolm X. Sure. You know, right. and then they don't even right. understand Malcolm X. He's one of my three people I model my life after. <laughs> I shouldn't say it out loud, but I love that wow. man because he had a serious act, series of horrible acts of injustice in his life, including his father being uh, pulled across the trolley track and cut in half. He began by fighting to protect what he saw as his own. And then as he, he blossomed into a man and he realized his own was the human family. Then was tragically struck down early in life. Um, but to me, he's like one of these great American heroes. And these knuckleheads that are skateboarding around saying we need more, uh, uh, they say we need uh, more Malcolm X than, um, than MLK, smashing out windows, stealing surfboards, they are nothing like Martin Luther King, and they are nothing like Malcolm X. Right. But what they should do is order and discipline their life to being just, kind, thoughtful. Now that's a challenge. Okay. That's the challenge of a lifetime. That's the challenge. That's the that's the answer. You know that's that's the answer right there. If everyone, so that's that's part of the answer. If everyone would just live a, a life that's just and and good, you can just challenge yourself to do that. To be good. To be kind. To care, you know, and I don't mean give all your money away. No, I just mean just to be courteous and kind to people and treat them with respect. That's it. And uh, that's it. But I'm serious. The other thing, though, is that white America has to step up for us. I'm saying us. And I'll get on my knees and thank, and thank you and, and ask you for that because this is what really has to happen for there to be a change in, in the way things are done. You know, I don't, I don't agree with everything you say, you know, but it's okay. I, I agree with a lot. Believe that. Um, but um, it's, and that's okay. You know what I mean? It's okay. That's, that's what makes us unique. 
you know, we can we can have discussions and we can have our difference of opinions and still be cool, you know. <laughs> yep. That's just that's what makes our, our relationship that much greater, you know. What were you gonna say? No, yeah. I, I was just gonna say I'm gonna let you go because it's late there and I could talk to you forever. We give these people two and a half hours. But I Oh my god. I, I agree right. with you. I'm looking at the clock on the on the counter here that you know, I that's it. We just need to uh, have empathy, thoughtfulness, understand there's things we'll never know. We'll never understand. And understand there are things we'll never understand. And yeah. um, so for my black friends to understand, it might be hard for a lot of white people to understand your experience with the police or your fear of the police. You right. can't hate them for that because they've had their experience over and over and over again. And if yeah, you're right. white and you you have to understand you you don't understand this this fear of the police, but get you don't understand it because they had a different experience. Um, and once we understand that, that we empathy and people can disagree with you, and it's cool. That's right. Like that's the, right. Cool. That's of course. That's My really wife doesn't agree with me on like a lot of important issues <laughs> that you think that you think are important. So. A lot of issues that are really important to me. My wife and I, for example, I'm a big advocate of the Dream Act. I write it. I've been writing about the Dream Act for a decade or more, and she hates. She's so opposed to the Dream Act, and I'm like, how is my immigrant wife, you know, the first generation <laughs> Chinese wife, opposed to the Dream Act? Wait, that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother. That's a whole other topic. But you know, we. I don't dox her. I don't go on Twitter and call her a fascist. I should though. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be funny. I should, That'll but she's not on Twitter, so it won't do any good. All right, Wig. Well, that's going to be our next segment. <laughs> well, hey, Wig, I, I love you, brother. I thank you for coming on here. I hope that this is just two friends talking. We don't thank even you. know what's going on. And if you think you know what's going on, then you need to call me and come on the show and explain it. Because I, I think all of America is like looking up at the sky going, what is going on? Yeah, man, we're all, you know, but I, I do see some glimmers of hope, you know, I do, and, and greatness in America, and I believe in America. Um, and it's just the people, my niece is out, was out there um, marching today, and and it was amazing because she's taking the pictures, and it was like, there was thousands, there was thousands of people out there today. Today was the biggest day, and I, I didn't get a chance to see any of it because I was, I was doing, I was working. And, uh, man, it, 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 it almost brought a tear to my eye to see that many people. And then, you know me, I'm, I'm like, I'm just blowing up the picture so that I can see all these white people in the, in the, in the walking out there. It was, it was incredible, dude. I'm telling you. It's like, that's, a, that's, that's how change occurs. You know, this is how it, these, these, these millennials. Well, I, I hope I hope there's some some discipline and fortitude behind this expression of sentiment, which I fear there's not. Dang. <laughs> well, you so know. discipline and and fortitude to know right, that, right. that that now, that sentiment is a good thing. Sure, but if you don't harness that to concerted, thoughtful work, it can be destructive and counterproductive. Or if a white person's there to feel absolved from some communal sin, to then, then, then to lord it over other, you know what I mean? Like so, 
But I do think that the people protesting and the people upset with the protesters all want what is best. Most of us all want what is best for America. And um, what breaks my heart most is the confusion and the division. And if we just are thoughtful, if, if we all do our kuleana, the best word in any language in the world, I think <laughs> we got peace. If everyone does justice, if everyone's just, you have social justice. Oh, totally, man. I like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that. Yeah, if we're all just, if everyone's just, then don't we have social justice? Totally, because you can't, you can't help it. Instead of social, social distancing. <laughs> yeah, social distancing, right? All right, wait. I want to give you the final word, and then I'm gonna close it up. Wow, man. Hey, well, I, I would like to thank you for for having me on the show, man. I really, really appreciate this. Um, I also appreciate your your um, intelligence and, uh, on these types of matters and, and uh, um, just want to thank you and, you know, and to let you know that you're doing a great thing uh, for our country, for our world. Um, and I can't wait to see you again. So you need to let me know when you're in LA so we can go hang out. Hopefully that'll be soon after the virus, <laughs> you know, after this epidemic is over. Uh, and I do have, I do have hope for the, for our, for our country. I do. Yeah, we will, we will win because we, we have to win for our children and grandchildren. We will pass on to our posterity a more perfect union, a more just country, a more peaceful country, and that's our job. It's not going to happen naturally, but if we, if we put our shoulder to it, right, we can do it, bro? Uh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to have a party in L.A. soon, like in the next 90 days. I'll be there, and we're going to have something. I promise. All right. Sure. Let's do this. And then we'll go to the boxing gym or we'll go jujitsu or box, whatever you want to do. You get to pick. Perfect. I'll take you to my my new school, man. I'm I'm training with uh, Machado, John Jacques Machado. You're training with the John Jacques Machado? Yes, I am. Oh, we just brought this up now? Oh, my. I know. We got a lot to talk about. Oh, my. I was waiting. I was dying to tell you that. Um, How do we get? Okay, we talked for two and a half hours. (laughs) Oh, wow. I know. You know. So that's what I've been, you know, doing and trying to get my, my jiu-jitsu back on track. Um, but, yeah. Well, you're a killer. You're a killer on the mat. All right, Wig. And we'll catch up later. All right. You take it easy, man. God bless you. All right. God bless. All right, everybody. That was two and a half. If you are still listening, I'm telling you, email me at Jason and Movie to Movement. You get a free copy of my book. That's two and a half hours. This might be my longest show. And that was my friend, my brother, someone I love. He called me. He said, what do you think's going on? I said, we should just do a podcast. Will you come on and let's talk? And I was, you know, we're trying to be as conversational as we always are, but it's hard because you know people are listening. But this was just me and my friend talking about what we think is going on. And I think it boils down to this. I just want to be just. I want to be kind. I want to be thoughtful. I want to be noble. I believe in God. And I believe that every human being was made in the image and likeness of God. And I know that every human being on earth is part of one family. We come from one set of grandparents. And that's a fact. Whether you think it's Lucy and Lucy's boyfriend or you think it's Adam and Eve. The reality is we are one family. And some of us, because of microevolution, because we lived near the uh, poles like my ancestors 
and needed sun and vitamin D and they needed protection from uh, frostbite. I, you can see through me, I'm so white. And other people, because they live close to the equator, they, it is just all these things are so minor. We are one family and, and we've been living together and marrying each other uh, for a long time now. And I know most people, you, most of you listening are better than me. You have less prejudices than me. You're more thoughtful than me. You're more kind than me. And I'm not God-awful. So most people are not God-awful. Um, and I think that this, what's dividing us right now, should prove how united we are. That people of every ethnicity are on the streets. And people of every ethnicity are upset with some of the things that are happening on the streets. And all of us were horrified by a man that appears to me that was just a brutal assassination. He was murdered um, on camera. But I don't know if it had to do with race, stupidity, poor training, overstress. I want to know. But at the end of the day, for me, my five uh, posts on how to be just Socially just is to work for a society that sees everyone as inviolable, that understands every human being as the most precious creature in the cosmos, that we uh, strive for laws that conform to God's will, as Thomas Aquinas said, as, as uh, Reverend Martin Luther King always said, that we work to empower those local institutions, we think local, act local, subsidiarity, that we protect the just social order grounded in private property rights. Abolishing private property, what Antifa wants, is injustice. It's not justice. And then finally, solidarity. That all of us look at what our privileges are. Are we intelligent? Are we handsome? Are we winsome? Are we funny? Do we have amazing parents? Because of our ethnicity and the country we live, do we have certain privileges others don't have? And we marshal all of our privileges, our wealth, our talents, our friends, our community, to serve the vulnerable that's it. That's justice. Do your business. Do your kuleana. It's been almost three hours. I have a big sandwich waiting for me. My office is about 150 degrees. I'm going to drink some water, eat my sandwich, and call it a night. This has been the Jason Jones Show, brought to you by Movie to Movement. Our new movie, Divided Hearts of America, starring Benjamin Watson, will be out this year. Go to movietomovement.com to check out our film. Also, if you want a free copy of my book for a donation of $20 or more, you get a free copy. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. It's the Movie to Movement Project, the Vulnerable People Project site. If you can do more than 20, do more than 20. 20 is our cost for the book and the shipping. But if you listen to this whole show, that's two hours and 37 minutes of your time, and you say, I don't have money for a book, uh, Send me a book. I got you. Okay? Until tomorrow, it's the Jason Jones Show. And remember, you are made in the image of God. And you have incomparable dignity and worth. And so does your neighbor. This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Ooh.